global governance. Um, and, and to me, that's Bitcoin. That's, it's, it's another piece that I'm working on that, that's very early right now, um, which really, I want, I wanted to project how we now can be like, if you, if we talk, talk about the piece I was writing before, it's like within a city, we can all live in peace if we can trust each other and obey these common rules. And within a planet, we can actually do the same once our technology has gotten powerful enough that we can deal with someone halfway around the world as though they were standing right next to us. And we're, we're sitting at the cusp of it. Um, and Bitcoin plays a huge part in making it a re making it a reality. So it's like a, a global, a global city. Um, I'm certainly not in favor of a global government with anybody in charge of it. That would be the antithesis of, of what it is. But look at this global set of rules with nobody in charge of it that nobody can corrupt. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we want everyone in the world to share it and be able to deal with each other uh, globally as though without without the restriction of geographical locality? Sure. I can see that. The one thing, you know, again, from a military perspective, the one thing that I think is needed, though, is is a common defense. Now, what does that look like? Does that look like enforcing borders or does it just look like? Okay, well, I think of it like this. And Satoshi, I see your request to join us. I'll bring you up here in just a second. I want to finish this thought. Um, the the entire point of militaries, why do why do nations have militaries? So yeah, they need to secure their borders, but secure them against what is the question. Right. And I would suggest that um the need to for the common defense exists because some people in human societies are not like everybody else like i want peace you want peace i think probably everybody in this room wants peace but there's that subset of human beings that fall along that sort of psychopathic spectrum that have no problem trying to enforce power over others through violence and force right and throughout history these people have always existed so what do you do like especially if they get into positions of power whether they then come into armies that doesn't mean right. Well, the the trick is the trick is though to keep them out of taking control of your own military too, right? Like what you you have a military to defend your country against a foreign invader's psychopath. What do you have to protect you against a local psychopath? I, I don't have the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, but I'm just saying that like, the, the danger is like the reason a foreign psychopath is a threat with his army is that he or she uh, managed to uh, corrupt the, def the force of defense of that country and turn it into a weapon of offense against your country. So, right. Yeah, I would suggest and, that part of the problem is dishonest money. So take the United States, for example. The United States was formed on the idea of mutual defense, right? That we would pay taxes for mutual defense, the construction of roads, and the post. That was the original purpose of the federal government, full stop. It had no other purpose, right? So the whole concept there was we agreed as Americans that we would all contribute for the mutual defense, which I think is, is probably a good idea. Everything beyond that, if you create a system that 
you know, the government or people in government can extract the wealth of all the citizens without their agreement. Over time, that just grows. So I think of it like this. It started out where, you know, if government, well, let's just put it in a, in a, in a frame of reference for so, so we can look at it one way. If government, for example, is a parasite, let's say it's a little tick on the back of a dog, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing until ultimately it gets bigger than the dog, and it's feeding this war machine, which some people call you know, the military-industrial complex, which we've been warned about by previous presidents in, in the United States, then you have this massive, monstrous war machine that if somebody were to find themselves in charge of it who falls along that psychopathic spectrum that's not necessarily a good thing so it just brings us back to i agree we all want peace but we have to provide for mutual sure. defense yeah well, that, that's all good i'd really like to let satoshi nakamoto on stage he's a hero of mine and i don't want to keep him waiting i, I assume this is the real satoshi nakamoto Just Satoshi. I invited him. I did connection. I don't think any any power of violence is going to be a match for Bitcoin. Right. I, I think this is the thing, right? Like violence, you know, you can kill a Bitcoiner, but you can't kill Bitcoin. But if you kill the Bitcoiner, there's not that much to be had by it. Uh, because you're not getting you're not getting their Bitcoin, and you're you're maybe upsetting a bunch of the other Bitcoiners. <laughs> I had I had some line in my article at the beginning about um, what might be the consequences uh, from other Bitcoiners onto you if if you did it, but I wanted to keep it very peaceful, so I I left it out. But uh, <laughs> let's see let's see what. Uh, what Satoshi had to ask, and then I know we've got another request at least to come on stage. Again. Yeah, it looks like Satoshi's reconnecting, so we might be having some connection problems. Good morning, Nate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Cyber, thanks for having me on. I, I was listening to uh, you talking about uh, we as Americans volunteering to uh, to pay for the common defense, and I, I want to kind of redirect that a little bit because if you go back into what the, the construction of the Constitution was, it wasn't that we as American individuals agreed. It was that we as American states agreed. Okay? It wasn't that we were Americans. It's that we were, we were Virginians or we were Georgians or we were uh, Pennsylvanians uh, at that time. And what those state governments did was agreed to pool their resources for a federal government for exactly what you said it was intended to do. For the post, for the common defense, pretty much full stop. But we also have to remember that the states have abdicated their authority to a federal government. Basically, the tick has gotten bigger than the dog. Uh, and, but I don't want anyone to think that we as American citizens were the ones that, that just abdicated all of this responsibility to the federal government. There was a wall in place, and that wall was to protect us. And that, that wall was the sovereignty of the several states. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want that to get lost. Yeah, I'm just going to change the title of the uh, thing here. You're 100% correct. Thank you. That's actually a more precise explanation of what I was trying to say.
Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I think that 1913 has three specific devices that caused the United States to be something completely different. Uh, I'm sorry there, Nate. I accidentally pressed the mute everyone button. Uh, you're unmuted. I apologize. My fault. It's right next to the microphone button, so I totally understand. I wish that tw you know, Twitter would change where that location is for that button. Uh, you got it. That's exactly what yeah, happened. Uh, yeah, where was I uh, when I finally saw that the everyone was muted uh, button was on? Three things happened in 1913 that made the United States something completely different than what it was. One was the, uh, the Federal Reserve. The second was the 16th Amendment, which allowed for direct taxes, which was specifically excluded. And the 17th Amendment, which allowed for the Senate to be elected by the public and as opposed to being appointed by the several state legislatures. Uh, the 17th Amendment, which is, is really what I'm talking about here, because when you, when you take the Senate and you take it away from the authority of the several state legislatures, then you take away the, the, the sovereignty of the several states. That was one of the big issues that I, I still think that if we could get that repealed, we would have a Senate that actually could uh, temper the uh, proclivities of the House of Representatives. But that's just my personal opinion, and I would hope that somebody else would agree with me. Nate, can you can you please just say that one one more time? What was it that you think that is um, <clears throat> acting as a um, a blocker to the state's authority? The Seventeenth Amendment, specifically. Uh, that was the that was also uh, enacted in 1913. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that the American public actually you know, put upon themselves, because the 17th Amendment allowed for the senators that were sent from the states to the U.S. Senate to be voted on by the publics of the several states, as opposed to being appointed by or elected by the legislatures of the several states making the senators accountable to an ignorant people as opposed to a more informed legislature to which they would be much more accountable. Well, that's interesting. I, I actually was not aware of that. Thank you for, for bringing that up. That's really good. I think one of the interesting things about this, I, I, I'm, as I said before, I'm Canadian, so my... Uh, and I studied political science in, in my first couple of years at university too. So I, I learned a lot more about uh, Canada's system as well, which which at the time of formation, although it was formed under the British Commonwealth, uh, had these attempts as well. We have provinces instead of states and a federal government, similar to the American federal government. And the idea originally was to have these watertight compartments of jurisdiction between what the federal government could do, which was limited, and what the provinces could do which was much more to be much more autonomous and set their direction much more. But what we've seen in both of these cases, and we've probably seen in most other federal models in the world, is over time the power moves to the center or the clarity of the lines gets blurred, they get smudged, and then there's horse trading over, over everything. And people don't stay in the roles that they were supposed to because people are ambitious and because some of them are psychopaths. And uh, and what we ultimately need is some way of keeping power in check, not through a written document that needs to be obeyed. This at least is the point for me around Bitcoin, uh, but something that is enforced by the laws of physics itself and can't be violated. That is Bitcoin. By an in-person. It is Bitcoin. Yeah. It's a system, right? It's a system of governance for everyone in the world to opt into. 
only only if they choose it, right? But uh, but if you do opt into it, you've got guarantees that nobody can violate, no matter how psychopathic they are. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why the Constitution actually uh, specifically said that the the minting of coin was the responsibility of the government, not to the point where the government created money, but it verified for the user what money was. It just said, we're going to verify that, yes, this is a, a dollar, which was a unit of weight, by the way, of silver. And you know, so it had the U.S. stamp on it saying, you don't need to verify its weight or its purity because we've already done that for you. It wasn't to create money. It was simply... Uh, a verification process so that people could actually know that they could use that unit of weight for trade. Right. Well, and how and how that promise has been betrayed in every conceivable way. Oh, absolutely. And I would point out, by the way, for <laughs> I'm sure people who are joining this discussion are like, why are we talking about civics class? Like, this is supposed to be about Bitcoin, right? Um, I would suggest just have an open mind and. Um, be willing to learn different things because you're going to find if you're new to bitcoin that bitcoin spans all kinds of disciplines like you have to understand civics you have to understand monetary history you have to understand economics you don't have to, i shouldn't say have to it it's in your best interest to learn it maybe that's a better way to say it it will motivate you to dig into it deeper that's for certain you, you mentioned civics right it, it, civics is from the same root as uh, civil and civilians and civilization. And Bitcoin is really all about human civilization. <laughs> it's like money is what sits at the center of, of civilizations. If you, if you study the history of, of civilizations that have risen and fallen, they have risen and fallen with their money. And, and the, you may debate what the cause and what the effect is, but I, I think there's a lot of evidence suggesting that when the money fails, the civilization fails. And, uh, and we've got this global civilization that is confronted with failure of its monies right now. And we, have a, and we think we have a solution, which is, so we're really, like for me, we're talking about saving civilization. We're, we're talking about preventing the fall of civilization which will happen with the fall of money, which is which is falling right now. I, again, I don't know how uh, how well versed in all of this stuff uh, people in the audience are, so if we need to elaborate significantly, but our money our money is struggling when we talk when not my money, my money is Bitcoin, but uh, the the fiat money of the world is struggling, and it is it's in a state of collapse, which, Every fiat money in history before has done the same, and it's taken its civilization down with it. And we're, this is why this is so important to so many of us, because we really genuinely believe we are in a mission <laughs> to, see, to prevent the collapse of civilization and to soften the, soften the fall of it if, we, if there is a fall, and to also reinvent a much more beautiful civilization, uh, one that, is, that has many parts of it protected from psychopaths. Yeah, I agree. A couple quick points. <clears throat> Tomer is correct in if you study uh, the collapse of civilizations, a very tight correlation with the fall of civilizations in the past or history has been debasement and destruction of, of, the, mon of the money. That's one thing. 
The other thing is for those who who are new to the concept, maybe new to Bitcoin, trying to understand it better. It is my opinion that Bitcoin will force uh, politicians and people in positions of a governance function in society to be accountable to the people once again. They will not have the ability to accumulate power in an in an unfair and un permissioned way which is kind of where we are today in in many ways so that's a very exciting future um the reason that i believe that is if you look at the current taxation systems etc that nate was talking about this morning a little while ago 1913 uh the united states government passed federal reserve act same year they passed income tax which basically means the government claims part of your labor now, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but you know, um, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who makes a claim like that on your life and your time, that's a that's a form of slavery. No, that's just my opinion that some people may think that that's extreme, but I, I think that that's true. Um, but the point of that is that taxation in America, for example, is enforced through the threat of violence. You don't pay your taxes, the dudes show up with guns, they charge you. They arrest you, they fine you, maybe they throw you in prison, whatever, and it's all done through the threat of violence. With Bitcoin, it flips that entire system on its head. Why? Because Bitcoin can't be taken from you. It's a completely different deal. It, it, you know, the only way Bitcoin can be taken from you really is if they torture you for your seed, right? But if you, if you have multisig. Then they can't. Not, even that won't work. So the point is, is that if the only way they can get your Bitcoin, your money from you in the future is voluntarily, well, then they have to then perform, and they have to be answerable for their performance, and they can't just do what they want and take what they want. Deep, huh? <laughs> Everybody, that's great. that's great stuff. I'm I'm hoping we can get more people uh, coming on stage. I actually do see a, a request, um, so I'm going to invite. Oh, uh, all right. Did we get that person on stage? They disappeared just as I was touching. Sometimes when you invite them up, it causes them to disappear, but they're actually being added. Oh, Here they are. So for bringing you up. Just sort of uh, one at a time. Um, we'll just call on you. Good morning, Whelan. How you doing? Good. Um, couldn't they still garnish your, like, if, if you're still getting paid in fiat, they could still cripple your income, like garnish your wages and stuff. They just can't touch your Bitcoin. Right. Sorry. Right, uh, but but if if we're living in a in a hyper Bitcoinized world, in a world where Bitcoin is the only money that's being sent and received, then they can't garnish it, which is all of it. Yeah. So obviously, the systems that are in place now has complete control over your fiat money, right? <clears throat> um, they can reach into your bank accounts. They can do all kinds of things like that. CBDC would be the worst incarnation of that. You know, if, if you don't like the idea that the IRS can garnish your wages or reach into your bank account and take money out of it directly, 
you are really not going to like CBDCs because they will be able to do anything they want to you at any time. And not only that, <clears throat> if it becomes a system similar to what China is doing, which a lot of people think that's the direction it would go, what it means is you have to behave in ways that they want you to behave. And if you do not, they can call you naughty and say, okay, well, you're not allowed to buy groceries today because you're naughty and you're not doing what we want. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a CBDC would essentially in, instantly lead to a complete chaos, chaos in the civilization, right? Like, you know, it, imagine if Janet Yellen doesn't come up and say, well, we're thinking about uh, putting a tax on unrealized capital gains. If she, she just comes on and she says, everybody's everybody's capital gains unrealized have been taxed and we took the money out already. It's done. It's finished. Um, that's what a CBDC allows. And people will be aware of that. It may take one or two events like this to happen but people will lose complete confidence in any notion that they have any savings at all because they can be arbitrarily incinerated deleted changed at a moment's at a moment's notice um and so it's just it's such a terrible it's such a highly flawed idea that anyone who thinks in any adversarial nature will see oh this is this is the most vulnerable system you could possibly the most fragile system you can possibly create for money um, and so I, I think it's going to really meet a lot of resistance in any attempt to implement it in any country that's anything but a complete uh, dictatorship. But it'll it'll you know it'll be another one of these things that causes a race to hyper Bitcoinization as the alternative because everyone will want out of the system. Money can be deleted by someone who doesn't know you and you have had a fair trial or any appeal. Uh, whatsoever. There's just someone, you know, in the same way you can get uh, you can get uh, suspended from Twitter or kicked off of Twitter by some employee, low level employee working there who decides they don't like what you said. The same would be true of all your money under a CBDC. Just imagine how ridiculously unjust that is. And that's exactly what a CBDC is. I, I don't know anyone who could defend it as anything other than that. Um, so, so <laughs> CBDC is bad. I guess that's the only thing I'd say there. Um, I know we have other speakers trying to come on stage. Uh, I'm going to welcome up Eric. Good morning, Eric. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Swan, so, uh, a long time. Hope you're doing good, my friend. <laughs> it's actually afternoon. Uh, it's past 2.46 where I am, local time, Accra, Ghana. And... Um, Looking forward to contributing to this conversation uh, as a fanatic enthusiast of the future, decentralization, and freedom of money. Thank you. Awesome. Well, welcome, Eric. Did you have a question or did you have a specific thing you wanted to bring up? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Just um, um, I felt I needed to. Uh, make contribution to this uh, conversation of Bitcoin. Um, so I just um, got off uh, a conference where I, I spoke about cryptocurrency usage uh, across Africa and the world, uh, organized by the International Compliance Association, the UK chapter. Um, there's a three-day virtual conference where I was a speaker. And the conversation was very interesting. So it, the, the panel looked at crypto and then, I mean, virtual assets, payment service provider, I mean, providers, how compliance can be used 
as it were, to kind of increase uh, adoption, confidence, and trust, and minimize the, the nefarious activities by, I mean, of course, a um, few people. And some of us make a strong case that, look, um, I understand that, yes, we need to have KYC regulations, compliance, but um, research has shown that the, the centralized financial system actually is a major complicit when it comes to fraud, uh, money laundering, and other things. According to chain analysis and electrics and all those platforms, we've shown that, yeah. matter of fact, yeah. uh, hello. I appreciate, listen, I appreciate hello. what you're bringing and um, what you're saying. I wanted to ask you something. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like I don't think that the you know, KYC aspect that's being kind of pushed by um, sort of the old guard, the regimes, the regulators, all that other kind of stuff. I mean, the facts, the facts. Sorry, hey, Cyber Hornet, hey? your voice, your your voice is coming across quite muffled to me. I don't know if that's true for everybody else, but as your microphone, like it, it could be me, but I'm having a hard time hearing you. Same here. Thank you. Okay, I know why that is. It's because Eric's, Eric's okay. microphone was unmuted. And so <clears throat> there was a lot of background noise from Eric's microphone. And my microphone does this noise canceling thing. So if there's a crap ton of noise coming through my speaker, it just automatically kind of makes mine quieter, I think. What I was saying is, is that, um, Eric, while I appreciate what you're, what you're uh, talking about here, I don't I don't think AML KYC is like something that that new bitcoiners or um I I just don't think it should be a dominant part of the the com, the the conversation it, with bitcoin yes we have to deal with it but the whole concept of it being used for illegal activities etc is pretty much nonsense it's a narrative that is being used by regulators to to try and um gain power over Bitcoin, but the problem with that is, is that the amount of it that's used in Bitcoin is so tiny, it's pretty much irrelevant. And the fact of the matter is, and this is this is from reports that I've read coming from experts in the industry in the United States who deal directly with enforcement of um, AML KYC issues. Over ninety nine percent of of um, money laundering cases are go unprosecuted so i mean as far as i'm concerned i don't even think that that's a discussion that anybody should should it's it's a narrative it has nothing to do with reality like unless the united states is willing to to clean up its own backyard and start prosecuting those cases they really shouldn't be talking about bitcoin Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So my, 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 my interjection or my comment was not to kind of push or give um, I'm, a, I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm, I'm a student of uh, blockchain decentralization, right? I was just trying to make up a case. Now look, we look at it and then vis-a-vis -vis adoption, especially in Africa. Uh, uh, so, so this I mean, account with my, my, my perspective. Uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, special in the West, for example, in America, a lot more people see it as a profit-making tool. Um, change by low, high sell. But in Africa, for example, cryptocurrency is seen and used for to solve three major major problems in Africa. No wonder in the last you've seen over 1,200 percent increase with over 100 billion dollars transacted in, in cryptocurrency. Um, 
besides on-chain and off-chain, what we see in Africa, peer-to-peer transaction of Bitcoin is really on the, on the rise. Why? It is used to hedge against inflation. Two, it is used as wealth, wealth um, to, to, um, to, um, preservation. And three, for payment and traveling across Africa. You are in America. Probably, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, seven out of ten in America have never been to Africa before. So the knowledge about Africa is different. You see, cryptocurrency in Africa, we uh, have fifty-four different countries with different monetary policies. In America, you have about twenty trillion dollar um, economy with only one currency, one market. So the knowledge is different when it comes to Africa. So I'm trying to make a strong case that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is a real use case in Africa. No wonder chain analysis. Everything they have done, you see less than 0.1% of illicit activity in Africa. It's really used for remittances, payment, and as a store value, and also a hedge against inflation where our currency keep on depreciating and other things. So I just want to make a strong case that look, the Bitcoin I mean, phenomenon is going nowhere. Matter of fact, Africa is pioneering and increasing adoption globally, and we are on the top, I mean, top 10 countries in the world. You have two African countries. Top 20, you have about six African countries. So it shows you that how Africa is sees Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh, on a large scale for the future of money and the future of uh, digital uh, activities uh, as a whole, which the blockchain provides. So just for me as a contribution to this uh, exciting and inspiring conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was really good. All right. Thank you, Eric, for... Uh for explaining that further i'm sorry if you feel like I, I jumped on that a little bit i wasn't i wasn't trying to seem like that i just um i get a little <laughs> i don't know what the word is but the whole thing about the whole thing about them making such a big deal about the aml kyc kind of bothers me because i don't think we should have it at all my personal opinion i mean all that stuff started back after uh 9-11 in the United States, where the United States government decided to weaponize the U.S. dollar against the world and basically said, we're going to protect all you guys from terrorists, so we're going to implement this AML-KYC nonsense, where we're going to spy on what everybody's doing. And um, to me, that's just complete BS, because um, I never asked to be protected by from terrorists, and I don't know anybody who did. So that stuff's run its course. And I think as, a, as people around the world, we need to push back hard against that. And all that stuff needs to be repealed. Speaking to your, go ahead, Tomer. I, I had one other thing that I want to talk to Eric about. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, many things are sold as one thing when they're really another, right? And, and, and so, something that says, we're going to protect you against terrorists by surveilling you is something that people should be suspicious of because we're not terrorists. Uh, and it, so, so the argument ends up going, well, we don't know who's a terrorist, so we have to surveil everybody because anybody could be a terrorist. And 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 then what, what ends up happening is a system of mass surveillance gets implemented and, uh, and then we're all surveilled and then it gets abused. And then it gets, and then it, it leads towards these discussions of things like CBDCs, or monitoring every every account over six hundred dollars in value. There's just there's way too much corruptibility. There's way too much fragility in these in these systems. And so we, we need we need effective controls against you know to defend ourselves against violent attacks. But that's that's all that we need. We don't need to surveil everybody all the time. You know with with these. Uh, Orwellian machines. 
uh, I, I, I'm kind of losing my my, uh, my sense of what exactly I want to say here, but it's like we're o- we're entering overkill when we seek to protect people, and we end up we end up actually doing them more harm than terrorists would have done them in the process of implementing these uh, alleged defenses. Yeah, hundred percent. And I and and it's just a and I don't want to spend too much time on this particular item, but it's just something that I personally believe people need to push back against. That's all. Um, one last thing, Eric, Alexandria, I see you and we're going to bring you up here in just a second, but one last thing, thanks for bringing up what you were talking about as far as usage. You're using the word cryptocurrency. I'm curious, do you happen to know the statistics, how much of what's going on in Africa is Bitcoin specifically versus other stuff? Alex, I actually have to step away right now. So I, I want to thank everybody. Uh, uh, and, uh, I'll uh, I'll see you guys in another one of these spaces very soon, I'm sure. And peace to everyone. See you later, soon. Thanks well. for joining us. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. Eric, do you want to uh, – did you hear my question? Please, can, I, can I repeat it again, please? Thank you. Yeah, my question was um, – I don't know if you know the statistics, but you were talking about cryptocurrency use in Africa – Specifically, what I was wondering, how much of that is Bitcoin specifically versus other things? Okay, okay, great. Um, that's a great question. So um, the data we have, and um, about a week ago, um, Chain Analysis released their uh, annual uh, index, global index on crypto. And you could you see that Africa, um, the analysis showed that in Africa, uh, you have off-chain, uh, transaction, which is P2P transaction, uh, rising over 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 1,200%. Um, overall index, Africa has about seven countries on on index. Um, the top the top ten, uh, we have two African countries. The top twenty of seven African countries with a huge uh, increase. However, um, China was not able to identify whether or not it's only Bitcoin. But what I know, I'm I'm a player, right? I have built uh, a startup in using cryptocurrency. I built a startup. We, we did about $5 million in, in pilots without marketing, uh, where we build a wallet. You can send money from Nigeria to Ghana without I mean, going to the dollar. Because why? I find it very ridiculous to be in Africa, travel from one part, part of Africa, and have to change my local currency to dollar, go to another country and change again to the local currency. So as an entrepreneur, I said, look, why can't we use the blockchain to kind of innovate this kind of old age problem? And we build a wallet. That enable you to convert your Naira in a tokenized form and then convert it to, for example, Naira to CD in a token and be able to send it to somebody in Ghana in real time, in less than one minute, and the exchange is done. We did it. Unfortunately, February this year, um, the Central Bank of Nigeria, with their, I mean, authoritative order, um, actually made us have to kind of have to shut down because we couldn't scale. We needed to uh, be able to work with the banks as, as partners. So, yeah. I cannot give you directly, but what I know is that a lot of young people in Africa trade Bitcoin on a peer-to-peer market as, as, as a day job. That's where they are making the ends meet economic activities. Uh, if I want to do business with somebody in Kenya, I'll use Bitcoin. If I want to pay somebody in China, I'll use Bitcoin. And that is a huge, huge daily trade for young people across the continent. I mean, specifically Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, Ghana, Uganda, and, and Cameroon. This are, I mean, and, and let me forget, um, Togo. I mean, Togo, you wonder why is Togo? Yeah, Togo is number two when it comes to peer to peer in terms of 
overall Bitcoin and cryptocurrency usage in Africa, the Anoma tool. And I could share the link for the, the I could share the, the, the data with everybody if you want. So yeah, um, uh, I think Bitcoin is number one. Um, it's usually used for trade, buy and sell, buy and sell kind of activity on the peer-to-peer -peer network. Um, unlike in China, where you have a lot of activity on the on-chain, um, DFI and other things. DFI is less than 1% in Africa. You barely have even here about bit DFI. Why? Young people have the opportunity to make money by trading cryptocurrency on a peer-to-peer -peer network that we have across the continent. So I, I don't know if my, I uh, answer your question. Great. Yeah, that is fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Eric. And if you wouldn't mind, if you want to post that link, anybody who's interested, take a look at Eric's profile and uh, and you'll have that information there. Good morning, Alexandria. How are you? Um, great, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm also from, from Africa. I'm in Zimbabwe specifically. And I just wanted to agree with you that point about KYC because in Zimbabwe, we can't, we don't have access to any financial security services. So like, when I wanted to buy stocks, I couldn't get access to them. They like none of the brokers would even offer would ever be even be able to offer the service. Um, if I wanted to buy cryptocurrencies, like well, just actually if I wanted to buy Bitcoin, sorry, um, I couldn't get access to, to to Bitcoin itself because of these KYC laws. And I even had a big argument with my uncle saying that they're really discriminating against an entire population, um, and they don't know how bad of effect that has. Um, I mean, and like Zimbabweans really need that income because Zimbabweans. You know, most people in Zimbabwe only earn about one hundred twenty dollars. Um, so it's like it's it's so destructive to 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 see um, how bad this, these KYC laws um, or what the kind of effects they have on 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 us. And I also wanted to point up that point where you're saying that um, Bitcoin is used um, because we like me and my friends because I'm I'm a student also in China. Um, so when I was paying for these like like uh, these these exam papers and stuff, answers and stuff. I was using Bitcoin because it was much easier to send money um, to Nigeria or to, to China because of my other student classes there with Bitcoin um, than any other system. Because if I wanted to send money in, 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 um, with US dollars, I couldn't. I'm actually not allowed to um, due to current regulations. Um, due to current regulations. Um, I can only receive money. But Bitcoin is, is literally free instant. And, my, and both of my friends were just laughing at how like how simple it is and it's much it's much more convenient um so yeah i just wanted to answer that point it's just i really i i i get um post-traumatic stress i think um because of this kyc laws and how we just can't get access to basic financial services and stuff um which is just amazing yeah. Alex, I want to thank you for sharing. I mean, that your perspective and your viewpoint is pretty amazing to hear. I, a lot of people in the West have no idea what 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 other people in the world go through, and um, it's really easy to take for granted what we have in the West and the way we live and the things that we deal with. And and to hear your perspective is really powerful. So I appreciate you sharing. Uh, question. When you're interacting with your friends and your peers and all that other kind of stuff, and you're moving Bitcoin around, are you doing it with Lightning? Oh, so so right now I'm actually using um, I'm actually using Layer One, even though even though I have Layer I have I have Lightning, but I I don't know how to get my because remember, um, uh, what what happens was that because of KYC, I can't my my exchange the exchange that I use isn't interoperable with with bank accounts, right? So I use layer one, and then the, the, the layer one that I'm using um, for transactions 
is something is something that's linked to a South African bank account. So it would be someone who's in South Africa. I have to send money to someone who's in South Africa. First, get the money out of out of Zimbabwe into South Africa, and then um, put it into into in, into layer um yeah into Bitcoin layer one, um, which is the exchange like Blockify or or yeah. Blockfire is, is, is a simple one, but yeah, I can't use Lightning because I can't I can't withdraw the money because remember my bank accounts aren't aren't interoperable. With, with, uh, with, I, I don't know how it, I, I think I'm also quite new to it, so I don't know um, how to, how it works yet that well. But I do have a Lightning wallet. It's just um, yeah, it's quite difficult because of that. The fact that um, I have we can't withdraw. It has to be from yeah. It's, I, I'm not sure. Okay, that's great. Thanks for that answering that. Uh, one other thing that I was curious about is, is that you know when you live in a in a under systems of control and where fiat fiat money is is devaluing and um, where there's sort of all of these rules that you're forced to live by. Sometimes it can be a little bit um, it can be a little bit depressing. Can take away people's hope. I'm curious, like. People your age and, and like your friends and stuff like that. Do you do you find that because of Bitcoin, you think that that there's the future is brighter versus what it would have been without it? Yeah, I, I definitely do because okay. So let me explain my situation. Was um, I've had three jobs. The first job paid me ten dollars for the entire month. The second job paid me thirty dollars for the entire month, and then the last one paid me again thirty dollars. Um, and so what's actually funny was that <laughs> through Bitcoin, uh, cause like there's this code, there's a account called South Sea, right? Where they give you a reward for referencing someone. So they give you $50 reward for referencing someone. And then, um, you also get $50 for depositing amount, right? So I've saved up about 2000 bucks, um, from just, yeah, whatever. And I've managed to create an income of around 500 bucks just from creating different accounts with my friends. And we're making way more money <laughs> um, than we could actually make um, with a basic job in Zimbabwe because we, because our incomes got devalued to the point where we're only earning ten bucks. Because before our basic waiter job was paying us around a hundred dollars to three hundred dollars, we were very very lucky with three hundred dollars to a hundred dollars. And then our currency got hyperinflated; everything got super super cheap. And then our income went from a hundred dollars all the way down to ten dollars. So you can't even like if, if I want to have girlfriends. I want to take someone out. If I want to take her out to like to go and eat, that ten dollars is not even going to be enough for a meal at a restaurant. Like I can't do anything at all socially. I can't have friends. I can't go out. I can't buy. Um, you can't buy anything of luxury because of the um, because of how bad the sphere system is and and how like okay so you can't you can't trade. I mean you can't earn any you can't earn anything right. And then your ability to trade gets taken away because of trade. Um, trade barriers and you you not be able to send money outside and also just the cost of you bringing in more materials is significantly high and then you're earning peanuts right so you 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 don't have you, you like you can it will really d depress you and that's what i'm saying like this that you get post-traumatic stress because it's so bad and you and then you realize how bitcoin how bitcoin is going to change all this and you're just like okay this is really great and it, it is very helpful so yeah it's, it's like very very it's very very impactful and yeah i hope that answers your question it does and and thank you for sharing that's amazing 
it gives me hope too because you know I, I was I've been looking at the fiat systems of the West and for some time have been thinking this is pretty much mathematically uns- unsustainable. There's there's no way that prices can keep doing what they're doing in terms of inflation, where incomes are not keeping pace with that. It just basically guarantees a lower standard of living moving forward for for future generations. And I was concerned for my children and their children. And um, it it is, I agree, very exciting. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Not sure. This is a go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying it is it is quite exciting because I mean, I just it's just amazing. Like the difference between income between like Zimbabwe and United States is just so is is just is really. I, mean, I think there's like a two hundred seventy percent difference between how much I can make in Zimbabwe. How much someone can make in the United States, and I was just like, "How? How is the system like this possible?" I actually wanted to ask if someone could actually explain how is that possible. Um, is it because of the? Yeah, I wish someone could explain how when these guys impose sanctions, um, which which what does this cut the access to money that we get in Zimbabwe, and therefore we have to print more of our currency in order to obtain the US dollars outside? Um, how does it work exactly? I'm not too sure. I'm not sure I understand your question. Um, can you ask it again, maybe in a little bit different way? Okay, yeah. So um, when United States post, when United States post, um, proposes sanctions on Zimbabwe, right? Um, my understanding is that they cut the supply of U.S. dollars to Zimbabwe, right? And then what? Then that somehow causes hyperinflation because. We can't get access to United States dollars, which is which is the money that we need in order to trade with other countries. Um, so we have to print more of our money to obtain that US dollars. Is that how it works? Is that why our currency hyperinflates? Um, I'm not too sure. If, 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 yeah, I want to talk to if someone could explain why our currency hyperinflated um, to to these degrees. Okay, I'm not an expert on on your particular country. Uh, so I'm just going to talk in general terms. Uh, a hyperinflation is a um, it's sort of an emergent property of a currency system that's failing. So what could cause a currency system to fail? So an example of that would be, um, you know, like in the United States today, you, you, the U.S. is is collecting a certain amount of revenue and taxes. So let's call it three trillion. And then they're spending six trillion. Like that's not a sustainable thing. So what they do is that they're basically printing the difference. It's a lot more complicated than that, but basically that's what's happening. And um, so the problem is, is that you have more and more currency chasing either the same amount, less amount, whatever. The currency is expanding far more than the goods available. Therefore, the prices start to rise. Prices going up are a symptom of the cause. They're not the thing. Like a lot of people say, well, inflation is prices rising. No, prices rising is a symptom. It's kind of like <clears throat> if you sneeze or have a cough, that is a symptom of maybe having a cold. But that is not the cold. The cold is the, the initially, it's the money printing that is far in excess of the available goods causes the prices to rise. And then hyperinflation is an emergent property. It's a kind of like a psychological shift where people are like, well, 
my money is not going to hold its value. So I'm going to get rid of it as fast as I possibly can, which is, which increases something called velocity, which makes the prices of goods go up even faster. And it becomes a feedback loop where everybody just wants to dump the currency as fast as they possibly can. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I mean, I've, I've experienced that twice. So yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for explanation. Eh? You're welcome. I want to thank you for participating. You can hang out. We might have more questions for you if you have, if you have time and you don't mind. Badwell, if you had your hand up a minute ago, is there something you wanted to say? Yeah, yeah, good morning. Sorry, I couldn't <clears throat> join earlier. I was um, I was driving and I didn't want to risk having the, the spotty reception. Um, I've just been thinking about the uh, conversation this morning and and especially what was just uh, discussed about the fiat system. And, you know, I, I've always I've always seen the fiat system as having this uh, tension between the, the working class and what historically I, I believe has been called landowners. Uh, but over time has kind of evolved to be like the oligarchy or the one percent, you know, things like that. Um, but what happens you know, in, in other in, in historical societies is when the government starts debasing the currency, um, there, there usually is some civil unrest, um, you know, that kind of comes with that. And, and I think we, we started seeing some of that in like 2000, you know, from the 2008 financial crisis, we saw like Occupy Wall Street, you know, that was that was a thing for a while. And it was it was really, you know, trying to highlight the sheer um, you know, the discrepancy between, you know, the upper class and, and lower class, uh, especially in terms of purchasing power and money and, and the, contr the control that that comes with. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about how Bitcoin is, is peace, uh, brings peace. But, I, you know, I'm kind of thinking that we're where we are today with rising prices, you know, that that's outpacing. It, it's really uh, dramatically outpacing uh wages right so people so people are not getting the the pay increases and in fact you know a lot of people are not even working i'm not even sure how that's possible but um but but there's the prices keep rising and so eventually that's going to cut into everyone's pocketbook and and it's going to be felt severely by people who don't own assets um and and so i'm kind of predicting another occupy wall street type of event um movement you know there's there's i think there's going to be some civil unrest about wages because because really that's you know unless wages just get automatically magically raised overnight which could kind of cause another shock type of shock like there, this tension is going to really surface and it's going to like people are going to are, are going to demand having their purchasing power you know, catch up with, with the prices. And so there's, I think there's an, there, there is a opportunity for like Bitcoin to really shine in this scenario, but I'm kind of curious what everyone else thinks about that. Like how, how will civil unrest kind of present itself or maybe over the next decade and maybe how Bitcoin might play into that? It's a good question. Yasin, I see you, so hang on just one second. Let's um I want to go back to Alex for just one second. Alex, you've come you're coming from a um a society, a world where where hyperinflation is not theoretical. It, you've seen it happen personally, right? So 
my question to you is, from your own experience, do you feel like Bitcoin is a more stable currency system than what you've experienced and why? Okay. Um, yes, I do. So, okay. So, um, when we say volatility is kind of bad, we normally mean, from my understanding, is that you're underperforming, right? You've kind of lost, you've lost your, what you say, you lost your purchasing power. Um, if we measure, okay, what anything, because I mean, from reading the Bitcoin standards, that anything can be money, right? But there's consequences to to your choice of money, okay? So if I chose, if I chose the the RTG, um, or yeah, RTG is basically the reserve currency, Zimbabwe reserve currency. And if I, then if I chose to store my money in Bitcoin over the last 10 years, or just even maybe, let's say, two years, the RTG, which is Zimbabwe currency, has lost 700% of its purchasing power. And you get anxiety. Like, every day of, you, of your life, you wake up, and if you, as soon as you get paid, you're running to, to, to go to these guys who, who change money. Like, they, they're kind of illegal guys. You're running to these guys and trying to change your money to a more stable currency. So before um, I knew about Bitcoin, the first thing I'm, I'm wanting to do is going to change to US dollars, right? Um, so <laughs> if you've experienced having, if, you, if, you, if you've lived in Zimbabwe and you've experienced getting your wages in, in, in RTG, you, 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 you do it. Like, like the, one of the, I think one of the biggest fears that Zimbabweans have isn't violence, isn't getting robbed. I think it's just holding the actual currency themselves. We hate our currency, um, and we and we hate even earning in our currency. So, and then you have another currency like Bitcoin, and over the last ten years, it's appreciated by seven hundred thousand percent. So, if you chose to store your value in Bitcoin, you if you had saved like a thousand US dollars in Bitcoin terms, you would have had seven million dollars. Whereas if you saved a thousand in in, in RTG, um, you, I don't know what you would have like listen. I don't know what. Yeah, but you would have just lost money um, dismally. So definitely, by far, um, if you understand it, uh, Bitcoin is a far better choice of money. This is that people, I don't know. I've, I'm, I, I try. I actually try to explain. Whenever I do explain to people my age, they 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 definitely do. Um, they definitely do get it, and they definitely want to um, opt into the into into Bitcoin. It's just they. I don't, I don't know. They they're just taking their time. So yeah, I, I hope that understands explains that, that question. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Alex, I added you. I followed you. So in the future, um, if we ever want somebody who uh, can speak directly to experiencing hyperinflation, I'm going to call on you sometime if you're if you're willing. Maybe you'll come back and talk to us again sometime. Yeah, I followed you too. I, I definitely, I, I, love to, I, I love to do that because I've, ex- you know, I, I grew, I'm like a product of hyperinflation. Like I've experienced it twice. The first time I just remember massive queues massive food shortages for food shortages and like even how um when bitcoin standard when they explained first you, you don't have access to luxury services and then you don't have actually access to basic needs and then um just you you your you, you ability to trade is just is, is just gone basically so um it's like it's really painful and yeah um but yeah that's basically that that is incredible, man. Thanks so much for sharing. Love, love the perspective. Like this is something that everybody in the West needs to hear this story right here. Yasin, good morning. Um, how are you doing? Hey, good morning, everyone. Am I audible? Can everyone hear me clearly? We can hear you. Perfect. So, um, you know, I've been 
joining these spaces for the past few weeks and picked up on a lot of interesting things. I just want to share some thoughts. So uh, for context, my dad immigrated to the United States about 40 years ago. So I had the luxury of being born and raised here. But one thing I noticed uh, whenever I go back to Bangladesh, uh, which is originally where my family's from, there's a tendency to save. Everyone there is all about saving in cash, saving, saving, saving. What I I don't think most people realize is it's being, you know, deteriorated, like as the Michael Saylor analogy, right? It's a melting ice cube. And over the course of my uh, journey in the Bitcoin rabbit hole, I've realized that there is a lot of parallels between the way we use language and the way we use money. So, for instance, there's many advantages to using the most commonly used language in the world, which is English, right? So if I have any cousins that immigrate over to the United States, I've noticed if they don't know English, they have a very difficult time adjusting to the world, right? Whether that's uh, for joining universities or going on a job hunt or socializing, making friendships, dating, there are so many advantages you get from learning and picking up on English, right? You could get translations of the great classics like the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Tao Te Ching, the Bhagavad Gita that you can't find in other languages. So for instance, if I only knew Bengali, which is similar to Hindi, right? Same part of the world. Um, I wouldn't have access to all these different things. I wouldn't be able to join this Twitter space and have this conversation with all you wonderful people. Now, it's the same thing with money. Bitcoin is hands down the single greatest monetary network on the face of this planet. And now there's a lot of, um, you know, government fiat currencies or altcoins that try to claim that, that they're better. But when you analyze it in terms of decentralization, uh, self-sovereignty, the security, Bitcoin is by far the best and nothing even compares. So the past few months, I've been just trying to educate my family, friends, join these Twitter spaces, learn more, you know, and uh, thank you to all of you for waking me up to this whole new world. You're welcome. From from me, not that I'm anybody important. I mean, it's the whole Bitcoiner community. It's awesome. I appreciate you coming up, Yasin, and, and sharing. If you're in the audience and you want to add to this conversation, you have a question that you want to ask, come on up. Let us know. I mean, um, we'd love to hear from you. We want to uh, make sure that this is a, a, a place where you feel like you can come and ask questions and talk about stuff. We're going to be kind to you. We're going to answer your questions to the best of our ability. And uh, we just want this to be a, a discussion, a conversation that just helps people move forward with Bitcoin because it's the answer to all these problems. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I just wanted to ask Alex if he they had um, access to miners over there. You said access to Bitcoin miners. Yes. Um, I know. I think I've, I've actually been looking for other Bitcoiners, um, but I, I don't know any. I think, I think I only know two, and they're not really serious about Bitcoin. I'm really looking for other Bitcoin miners. I'm just Bitcoin Bitcoiners in, in, in Zimbabwe because I've yeah. I don't I don't know. I've, the only people that I know are the people that I'm converting myself uh, into Bitcoiners. So no, um, I don't know of any Bitcoin miners. So I think also because of the the power the power shortages in Zimbabwe are really extreme. Like Quite, quite brutal, but um, yeah, sometimes. Oh yeah, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be feasible for you to have one 
personally, like in your house or something? Um, yeah, with the yeah with, with the power, the power's quite unreliable. But uh, my my one friend wanted to 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 use uh, was look at a, a solar panel option. It's just that remember, so Zimbabweans don't have disposable income. Um, so <laughs> uh, even if they wanted to, and they saw how profitable uh, mining may be. It, it it might not be something that they could actually um they they can't buy the equipment themselves they don't have that kind of income to 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 buy even if it's profitable it's just you, we really most people are really really struggling to just make ends meet you see most like because most of the people that I grew up with um when I was in high school they couldn't go to university like I updated so many girls and had so many friends who are really intelligent people. And they just couldn't even just afford to go to university, even though um, um, they, they had the ability to do that. So when you now talk about book and mining, one, we don't have the, the capital to find ourselves. And then two, um, maybe maybe power shortages might be uh, the other problem too. Yeah, both aspects would make that really hard. Thank you. Amazing stuff. Uh, Ore, good morning. Did I say your name correctly? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Cyberhunter. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to to ask a question and comment. I, I brought this up actually uh, yesterday. Um, I think it was a space by log scale, and there was some discussion, but but it it um, didn't necessarily fully answer my question. Um, and my question had to do with, um, and you guys have probably heard it recently about inequality um, on a on a global scale, and you know, Bitcoin is amazing for all the reasons you know that I mentioned here, right? And especially post hyper Bitcoinization, um, they had explained to me, which made sense to me, how it 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 can be a more effective system right than than the system today for more i won't call it equitable but more uh, merit based you know more appropriate merit based like movement of of wealth post kind of like the the you know basically once all the bitcoin has been mined and nearing the bitcoin standard so on and so forth that that was helpful um, the question I was asking, which I'm still asking kind of like today, right, is like between now and then like the initial acquisition of like of like Bitcoin, right, on more of a global scale, because I understand it in the context of like, um, you know, the West, right, or like America, how, you know, the the normies got in or are getting in ahead of let's say mark cuban and so on and so forth so there's some advantages there but when i zoom out like on a global level i kind of view myself and let's say almost virtually everyone in this room but maybe not everyone as like part of the top like 30 percent in the world right like when you when you actually zoom out and say like who's the one i know there's the ultra rich right as a mark cuba and so on and so forth right uh but like if i zoom out on a global level like we in this room and most of the people that have access to the information right now 
I know the network is decentralized, but the information and like the the freedom today to to have the the free time and whatever to read the books to listen to the conversations all of that um you need some level of wealth today right not billionaire wealth but wealth enough that it's like oh, i got a job i can pay my bills to actually even pay enough attention and i guess the question that i'm raising right is between now and and in and now that we're at this great opportunity to acquire I think that like there's a 70% or maybe it's 50% that to be honest <laughs> are just not going to have that opportunity practically speaking. Um, and so you end up at least on day zero of hyper-Bitcoinization with a little bit more like an equal world than we have today on day zero, even if post that the system like will um will be more merit-based equitable so on and so forth so i just wanted to raise that comment slash question of like how do do people think that that's like valid right um or or am i off in how i'm thinking about it between now and you know getting to a bitcoin standard so to speak All right, I'll, I'll take a shot at at, at Ant speaking to that. Um, there's a that's a, that's a pretty deep like I heard a couple of different things there. One one thing that I would suggest is is that it's tough for everybody. Life is hard for everybody. I get it that it, some people are in complete survival mode and they literally do not have the energy or the or the ability to spend any time learning about this kind of stuff i would suggest that it's a it's incumbent upon every single human being to take a small amount of time during their day and try and improve their knowledge now we can all do that i mean granted there's going to be some people in the world that have zero access to the internet have zero access to resources there's not a lot that like we can immediately do about that. But what I will say in terms of Bitcoin as a monetary system is consider the alternative. Like if you have a form of money that you can start saving in, no matter how small, what if it's a dollar? What if it's $5? What if it's $10, right? You can buy sats now. You can buy something like 1,600 sats for a dollar now. What if we go to one-to-one -one parity? Right? You're a lot better off doing that than doing nothing or being um, sort of crushed under the existing system. So is it 100% is it fair and equitable? I don't know. Is it better? I would say, hell yes, it's better. And then the other part of that is, is that I, I, I hope humanity is willing to help each other out, you know, as we go forward. But do what you can to learn. You know, if you have a friend who has access to the internet, go there right like the resources that we have available today just from the bitcoiner community to learn you can get the equivalent of a phd in economics in my opinion just listening to podcasters who are bitcoiners it's it's amazing the amount of information that they've created the courses that have been created that anybody can take for free five years ago 
not a lot of people really understood what Bitcoin was. But today, there's really kind of no excuse for that. The information's available. It's out there. Does that help, Ray? Yeah, no, no. It 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 uh, it it absolutely does. Um, and I think um, I I I agree with you that the big the biggest point what you just said right is when you consider the alternative it's like duh right no matter what maybe critique i may have like between now and like getting into a bitcoin monetary system if i just say okay bitcoin versus fiat then <laughs> end of story so it's it's 100 and that makes sense and then the second thing i got from you is like the the information is available and there's no excuse and it it totally makes sense that one i i'll i'll just maybe edit for myself a little bit with um um because once i zoom out of the west and i know the internet is everywhere all of that but like i'm like i'm I grew up in an environment where like in, in Nigeria, I'm not saying me personally, but like where it was known that like more than 50% of the population is like below the poverty line, right? Like not not the American poverty line, like the Nigerian poverty line, which means it's not like, you know, you're kind of, you, you don't have a TV, that kind of thing. So like, I, I think that second point, to be honest, is like um, for the, for those kinds of poor, right, and wherever other countries that they are, the information out there, that kind of thing, it's it, 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 pretty much they're still going to be, you know, in the same situation. But I, I, I take that that kind of like broader point. Uh, but the only other thing that maybe I just want to ask and make a comment on, right, is what even triggered this thought for me? and like the investigation of like oh like on day when everything is mined who will have like the coins the only reason i i even went to this right was because very often right like in bitcoin rooms is like bitcoin solves this bitcoin solves that but like there was a lot of like um that and i know that it solves a lot but um i'm sensitive to like like when people apply bitcoin super broadly which is broad to certain things where like you know when i'm trying to understand it it doesn't seem like it solves that which like this this item i'm talking about which is like the the world's majority to be honest practically for whatever reason whether their fault or or not are not going to have Bitcoin at the time everything is mined, right? Like, and so there is, it's better than the fiat alternative, which I, I pump a fist to. But if somebody tells me that like, this solves our inequality problem, right? Which nobody here has said that just, just to be clear, but like as, as conversations go, I'd like, you know, th that has been thrown out there. and. For me, I struggle to see when I zoom out of the America or the West, right? That that it does that. But I definitely understand that it that post entering the monetary system, 
it has a more merit-based, more equitable kind of like way of giving people access to wealth. Um, and I think that's great. And then I also acknowledge fully, right, that there are a lot of plebs who are going to move up, right? Like, and so we need to acknowledge that, like, if I'm, if I'm calling out the, the challenge from like the more like super poor in the world perspective, I also need to acknowledge the reality that like, they're, they're also poor people. They might not be super poor on a world stage, but in the West, there are people who are poorer, like working, that kind of thing, who now, who are now being upgraded. So I definitely acknowledge the benefit that it's going to do for, for that crowd as well. So uh, thank you very much. Okay. I, I, um, I want to say that I get what you're saying, or uh, Yasin, I see your hand, W06, I see your hand. I'll get to you in just one second. I just want to speak to this really quick and, and we'll, we'll, we'll move to you guys. Um, I understand what you're saying in the West. I mean, I'm, I, I can imagine how difficult it must be for somebody like yourself who's seen what real poverty looks like. A lot of people in the West have no idea what real poverty looks like. Um, a lot of people in the West are extremely ignorant. I can see how coming into a room full of Bitcoiners from the West or that's going to fix everything in the world would be kind of like, you guys have no idea what's happening out there. And I would agree with that 100%. I lived in Panama, Central America for 11 years. I, I had neighbors that were just down the street from me who, who lived in 10 corrugated houses with no electricity, with dirt for floors. I, I know what it looks like. And um. I, I am not going to suggest that I know all the answers to these kind of problems. But what I will say is a lot of these countries have been used as resource extraction points by countries who emanate and issue the fiat currencies of the world. You've got the World Bank, you've got the IMF, you've got all these supranational organizations that have basically used many of the world's countries as, as straight up resource extraction points. And they have no intention of creating any kind of financial system where people can build and grow. What I will say about Bitcoin, I don't know if it's the answer to all these problems, but it's the first form of money that we've had that is going to be intentionally deflationary in nature, growing and buying power over time. So regardless of the distribution, when we get to the point where your opportunity cost equalizes, meaning you're not going to just hold it forever because you're you're going to lose more by, by spending it than by holding it. At that point, that's going to spread out around the world too. And if you're being paid in Bitcoin, you can at least know that you're building some foundation, which you never had the opportunity to do before. So hope that helps. Yasin, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to add... Um... I attended the Oslo Freedom Forums uh, a couple of weeks ago, hosted by Alex Gladstein, and they had some excellent uh, panels up talking about uh, developing countries that are living through severe inflation. So there's about like 1.6 billion people across the world that live are living through very severe inflation. And I know uh, perhaps for a lot of people, they don't have connection to their net or whatnot, but... I do believe with like things like Starlink, which is one of Elon Musk's uh, pet projects uh, from SpaceX, the internet will become more ubiquitous. And uh, like, for instance, a lot of developing countries completely skipped the landline and went to uh, mobile phones. So I do think uh, they'll have more internet access in the future as 
technologies like Starlink get cheaper to use and become more widespread. And then, you know, uh, in countries like Bangladesh, for example, where my family's from, there aren't really clear-cut property rights. So, for instance, if you buy land over there, well, guess what? A group of gangs or, like, you know, criminals can come and just post up in your property and just claim it's theirs. With something like Bitcoin, at least now, if you're a middle-class, uh, you know, Bangladeshi citizen or, you know, you're in that part of the world, you can, on your mobile phone, get a Bitcoin wallet and get some Bitcoin. And now you're not susceptible to these gangs or criminals that just come take your property. So I don't know if it solves all the world problems, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, 100%. 100%. W06. Zero six one six. Good morning. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Good afternoon from Athens, Greece. Um, really interesting conversations. Uh, it's been fascinating listening to you guys, especially um, Alex. You, I understand you are in uh, Zimbabwe, um, and I had a question specifically for you about um, the reason why you know so few people that you actually use Bitcoin. Could you tell us more how you actually use your car- currency when you get paid? Let's say. Um, is that is that paid in cash or uh, is, does the money come to your bank account? Um, why do people not convert at least some of that um, fiat money into Bitcoin? Is it because they simply don't have, you know, the disposable income to to invest or rather to to save? Or is it because there are certain restrictions imposed by the government, uh, capital controls, or? You know, other anti Bitcoin or anti cryptocurrency laws. Could you tell us more yeah, about so that? I'll say this. Okay, so I'll say this um, it's a multitude of things. So the, the first one is um, no one, we, we, we get our money in cash. <laughs> we, we get our money in cash because we don't trust the, 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 the banks at all. Um, I think it was just last year where we, most people, if people had US dollars, we woke up the following day and they said, listen, your money is no more US dollars. It's now RTG. Because they were saying that, oh, you can't, the currency, RTG currency is, is one is to one, right? <laughs> so you just woke up the next day saying that, okay, this, this, um, we're now converting all your currency to RTG. And then um, that currency. So they stole your money basically but, at that point, right? They? They stole your money yeah. at that point. Whatever savings you had was were converted to rubbish currency. Yeah, they, they, they stole our money. And this, this is, has... This has happened twice, eh? Um, I remember even have my, my 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 father when the first when two thousand eight when it first happened, I think he had about four hundred thousand US dollars. He um he wanted to leave it to his son, and he when he lost all that, he actually lost his mind. He he literally went crazy. Eh? He didn't. He never that. It was that. It was that kind of a a, tra- a tragedy. Um. So yeah, the first is. We we don't we us and banks no one even holds their money in banks anymore. We all keep our money under mattresses under in our houses and stuff because we don't trust bank accounts. Um, and then we all we always prefer to get paid in US dollars. We no one uh, even just like the thing about it is like if you're gonna get paid like a hundred bucks, um, there's there's limitations to the 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 the, the, the eco, we use a thing we use a platform called EcoCash, right? And the charges you get, you get charged for just doing simple transactions are insane, right? You can get charged about 4% um, uh, for just sending, for just sending your, your, 
your money to someone else and if, if it's not higher um so you don't want to be you do, you don't want to be using the the local currency and you don't want to be doing transactions um digitally right and then the second part is uh, yes disposable income people just don't have the money to to actually invest um people yeah people don't have the money to to, to invest because every time i i pitch bitcoin to a lot of people kind of the, the first challenge that you always have is that oh you know what, um i wish i could invest but i don't have money i wish i could invest but i don't have money um a lot of right alex but i'm not talking about bitcoin as an investment but rather as a sort of parallel or alternative banking system oh, yes. okay. where yeah, you can transact you know if you use the lightning network for example this is what i do amongst my friends now you know i'm trying to orange bill them and uh, um, let's say we go out um, and to pay well they they will pay the bill and then i i give them back my portion um, via the lightning network if they don't have a lightning wallet i i show them how to install one and then we do the transaction and they see um, a friend of mine, uh, I paid him like eight euro, uh, I think sometime in the summer. And uh, now that Bitcoin reached uh, 50 something K uh, in euro, um, that I think became like 15. So he was, you know, quite impressed. So look at that eight euro now, it's almost double. So, um, you know, my question is why don't yeah. people in Zimbabwe do it? Why don't you get hold of um, Bitcoin? On, on chain or um, you know via the night lightning network yeah because um, it's because moment. of no, one moment I'm sorry no. one moment I'm gonna ask that anybody who comes up as a speaker try not to run over anybody else let everybody finish talking before you go and um, I appreciate you sat minded for, for putting your hand up I see your hand we'll call on you here next Alex go ahead and answer his question. I'm sorry, was that about me? Yes, sir. <laughs> it was about you. Because he was still talking. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're not talking over each other. That's all. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies. Right. Yes. Um, so, so you remember when I said that the, there was those problems with KYC? When I created my, my, my account, my Bitcoin accounts, I actually lied about my location. I, I, I lied about my address. I lied about my my phone number. I had to say that I'm from South Africa or I'm from Canada or I'm from a different country. And then I have to find someone in a different country to let me use their phone number and their address. <laughs> because we we firstly like the financial services like BlockFi, like your simple exchanges, we, we can't we can't we, we can't even register which allows us to we can't send we can't put the money into the into these accounts in order to just buy the Bitcoin itself. Right, and then um, the second part is that, yeah, yeah, as you can't even get the money outside of, of Zimbabwe, which is, and if you're gonna get the money out, outside of Zimbabwe, um, it's it's you kind of getting a, a 10%. Uh, what you would it? You have to pay someone a uh, black market, so you have to pay like 10% in order to send your money outside of outside of Zim. I'm lucky I have someone who who does these transactions often, so I don't I don't pay any fees. But yeah, um, just to current regulations and stuff. You firstly can't create an account if you're Zimbabwean, and um, sending your money outside of the, outside of the country is, is is hard. And then remember, in order for me to 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 create this account, I first had to get someone as a twist, and that person. Uh, then I also have to trust someone outside of the country. I have to send that money, that person money outside of the country, um, and then I have to ask them to to put that money into the into into my account. 
So it's 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 it's, it's, it's very it's, right now um, due to kind of regulations, uh, it's, I don't think it's, it's that convenient um, for Zimbabweans to to do simple trades. But once your money is in inside the the, the exchanges, once your money is in Bitcoin, then it's easy. It's, it's quite simple. Um, but that's layer one. I'm not too sure about layer two right now. But it's, it's just getting your money inside this in, inside in, to convert it into Bitcoin. Um, and once it's in Bitcoin, then it's easy. But if it's not, then it's a challenge. I hope that explains that. That's amazing. Like. <laughs> For for the people who live in the West who are in this room who are listening to this, can you imagine having to do this kind of stuff just to do basic transactions and participate in the financial system? It's mind blowing. Like from here on out, if you're a Bitcoiner, no more whining. <laughs> like stop complaining about stuff. Like like what this guy goes through, it's just it's just mind blowing. Sats minded. Good morning. Good morning and hello everyone. I uh, just wanted to follow up on that last question. So my question is for Alex. Um, you spoke to the kind of systemic or structural like issues that uh, people have there about getting into Bitcoin. Um, I'm curious if you have any like insight or, co or uh, comment on kind of like personal doubts and uh, roadblocks that people you've spoken to um have with bitcoin um what don't they trust about it what what's what holds people up i'm curious to see here if that's different than um what we might experience in the u.s thanks <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> the amount of arguments that i've had to debate with um well i, I think most people are, are kind of on board with it because we've we've been abused like <laughs> absolutely abused by it but the people the one person that i did find um, negative comment was that it's magic money, so it's not physical money, right? But it's funny because we are digital, we're a digital currency. We're, we're, I think we we advance faster when it comes to being um, being digital than Western countries. Uh, you can actually research that. So yeah, I think the one of the biggest comments was just it's not it's not physical currency, um, and I guess it's just. I think yeah, it's just mostly. I think it's always just been intellectually lazy. Hey, eh? they just don't want to put in the work to 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 understand Bitcoin itself. But uh, I think the, the just the biggest roadblock is getting access to Bitcoin because you've seen how hard it is for me to uh, to get access to Bitcoin and the and the amount of like the trust that I have to that I have to go through, um, and also just the the, the the cost of of me converting my cash. To Bitcoin. If I didn't have like family members outside the country, I would be paying quite a, a lot of fees to convert my money to send my money outside of Zimbabwe, and then um, and I have to I have to, so okay. This is the, this is what happens. I get my money here in in here in Zimbabwe as US dollars. Once I get my money here in US dollars, I have to send it to someone in South Africa. So I have to change that currency. Into South African, into South African, um, into South African rands, and I have to find someone who's who's willing to accept South African rands there, and wants US dollars in Zimbabwe, so that I don't have to pay these fees, right? Ten percent fees, cut. And then once it's in South Africa, and I found someone who who does that, then he's putting that money into the account. So it's just it's that it's just converting your currency into into big, um, getting your your currency into into the Bitcoin system. That's very difficult, and also. Um, the last person I tried, I had orange peeled. He didn't have someone who could give him an address and a phone number to create an account.
for himself. So he couldn't create accounts even if they wanted to. So it's, yeah, it's that KYC problem. Of KYC is like, <laughs> if you don't know how much I hate KYC, this is this the biggest hurdle. Um, and then also the fees in order to 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 transact it, and it's, that's the biggest challenge. I don't know if that helps. Thanks, Alex. For for those of you who are just joining the conversation, um, Alex is from Zimbabwe, and he's currently a student over in China right now, going to college. If I got that right, and he's just sharing his experiences about hyperinflation in his own country. It's fascinating. Like I think people in the West really need to hear this kind of stuff. Yasin, go ahead. Hey, um, I just had a question, uh, Corey, but I'm interested in hearing uh, answers from anyone here. Uh, so Jack raised the alarm a couple of days ago with the hyperinflation tweet, right? And then now in Washington, they're talking about unrealized capital gains tax. So if these two things were to play out hand in hand, a hyperinflationary or a severe inflationary scenario in the United States, and then on top of that, they try to uh, apply this unrealized capital gains tax to everything, including Bitcoin. What can we as Bitcoiners do to push back? Would it be like non-compliance, peaceful protests, you know, like any any strategies at all? Okay, so Corey's, even though he's in here, he's no, been here. AFK. Oh, okay. Hey, good morning, yeah. Corey. Good morning. That's <laughs> been a great conversation just been listening and learning like everybody else um yeah i mean I don't, I don't think there's an easy answer i mean we've uh we've seen what has happened over the last you know 40 50 years with kind of the slow creep of setting limits that are not indexed to inflation and then more and more people sort of get caught up in whatever that regulation is right so long time ago i mean shoot if you ever saw the movie say anything in 1988 or 89 great john cusack movie and the whole thing was about his girlfriend's dad evading taxes by uh keeping his transactions under ten thousand dollars and he realized when he went in their house that everything in their house looked like it cost about nine thousand dollars each and that hasn't been lifted since the movie came out <laughs> plus it was already in place for about 20 years before that so that's kind of what happens. And so, yeah, while they're, you know, setting supposedly the, the signals are that they're going to, you know, say unrealized cap gains tax on billionaires. First of all, it'll probably come down a lot lower because once they actually get in conversation, they'll be like, oh, you know, well, Goldman and JP Morgan call ultra high net worth individuals 30 million. By the way, that number hasn't changed since the nineties. Uh, and so that's probably more like, uh, you know, that, that's more like having like, you know, probably 10 or $12 million back then. And it's still the same classification. So more people get caught up in that. And then when you tack on, you know, any, anybody's reasonable estimate of inflation, which is always higher than, than CPI, which is kind of the headline number, uh, you know, then you're going to just get more and more people caught up in that over time. So, you know, I think uh, Bitcoiners are just just people with uh better networks better uh ways to kind of organize and point their attention towards something than the average person in let's just call it the united states so we have those tools at our disposal but you know i think uh it's an individual decision 
when you say non-compliance, the nice thing about Bitcoin is it's uh, not that all. It's not all that hard. Like I, I choose to just be sort of transparent with the IRS and you know pay my taxes, et cetera, and I'll just like fight the fight at the legislative level and sort of community level and do what I got to do to keep as much as I can. But it's also not all that hard for people who are really motivated to use Bitcoin as it's designed as a bearer asset, jump through the hoops that they've got to go through. They've got to, you know, buy their coins peer to peer or buy them on exchange and mix them immediately or whatever it is. There's never been a technology that's made it so easy to, uh, sort of peacefully non-compliant, like to be be in non-compliance, I guess, very peacefully and with uh, much less chance of, uh, of facing negative consequences, I guess, from the people with the guns. So that's probably how I'd address that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, just add one quick thought there. I don't know if Dr. Jeff has anything is to to add to that, but um, my I suspect that as we move forward, you're going to have people fall on one side or the other of that equation. Like you're going to have a ton of people who are going to do exactly what Corey just said. And you're going to fight it at a legislative level, um, and you're gonna you're gonna work within the system to fix the system. And I also suspect there's going to be a ton of people more and more over time who are just going to opt out and non-comply. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, at some point, what are they going to do? Hire 150 million IRS agents to um, sort of chase around the other 150 million people in the United States, for example? I don't know. All I know is that at some point, um, it, it starts to become, you know, pretty difficult to enforce that kind of stuff if if what they're doing is just outright theft of property to the point where people are just like, I've had enough. I guess we'll see. Dr. Jeff, are you there? I am, Alex. Yeah, thanks. And hey, Corey, haven't spoken. This has been a great conversation. It's been really fun to listen to uh, everybody's personal stories. So thanks, everybody here on stage for sharing uh, what's going on in your parts of the world. Um, you, you know, this, this answer is going to sound trite. First of all, I agree with what uh, Alex, you and Corey both, both said. Um, it, th this sounds simplistic, but, but I think it actually uh, packs a lot of punch. Um, honestly, just by buying Bitcoin and holding it, uh, I think is the best way to defund the current political system. Uh, you know, the, the, the power is money, money is power, and the control of money means that the politicians and the centralized nation states have all the power right now. The larger Bitcoin grows and the faster the Bitcoin network grows, the faster it defunds these politicians and it defunds uh, this sort of tyranny that we're all living under. You know, it's worse in some countries, obviously, than others. Um, but, but as people, we got to continue to fight, th fight this and fight for what's right. And so I just think, and it, this is cliche, it's becoming cliche, which is kind of cool, actually, but the, the best peace, peaceful protest is just simply to buy and hold Bitcoin and tell your friends. And the more we do, you know, this exponential growth, it's still really small right now. I think worldwide adoption is about 3%, but it's doubling every year. So by 2025, 2026, the majority of people in the world will be Bitcoin uh, holders of some, uh, uh, of some degree. Uh, and, and that includes politicians. And as the younger politicians come up who are more techno savvy, 
who are Bitcoin friendly, all of these oppressive rules are going to change at some point and they're going to turn pro Bitcoin. So I just think we kind of watch and wait. We try to fight it as, as much as possible in the in, in the meantime. But just growing the Bitcoin network, I think, is, is the greatest thing we can do uh, for good. 100% agree. 100% agree. Exciting times. It's a it's an amazing time to be alive. <clears throat> I'll I'll be honest. Like uh, you know, so when I was in the in the gold industry, um, for a long time, it was kind of depressing because I, I I always thought that we had to go back to honest money, and I just did not see. I did not see a viable path. I mean, ultimately, if gold was going to be remonetized, it would be a decision made by government, right? But they would have to choose that. And because they would have to choose that, I, I got to thinking about it. I was like, man, that's, that's not good. <laughs> they would have to choose that because they probably won't. And uh, Bitcoin is creating this sort of forcing function where it's eating the global financial system. And it's not really up to them anymore, which is amazing. And it's an, an amazing step forward for the human race. Right. That's what I love about Bitcoin. It's, it's circumventing the traditional political structure and traditional finance uh, infrastructure. And it's forcing this on it, honest unit of account onto politicians, onto our nations and onto uh, basically the civilization of the world. So it's, there's nothing you can do about it, too. The, the cat's already out of the bag. You know, the genie's left the bottle. And so so governments can either try to get on board with it. They, they can fight it, and many will, like China is fighting it. They're going to lose, and, and they're going to get steamrolled, and eventually they're going to get back on a Bitcoin standard to some degree, whether they like it or not. Um, but obviously, the best solution for governments worldwide is to embrace the technology and find ways to partner with it. And to actually use it to strengthen their position and the geopolitical uh, front. So I, I'm very excited, but but it's definitely going to be a tumultuous decade. I think we're already seeing signs of this uh, right now um, in some countries more than others, for sure. But I just think as long as it, it, wherever you are in the world, whatever country you're in, as long as you have the opportunity to exchange your government fiat for Bitcoin, do it and do it as soon as you can. The sooner you do it, the sooner you start improving your life uh, and your quality of living for you and your family and for you know generations to come. Uh, the longer you hold on to the old fiat system, uh, the more painful life will be and, and, and the lower your quality of living will be over time. You know, what's amazing is, is that even Bitcoin's detractors say essentially what we're talking about. You know, what you just said, the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. It has been invented. We can't uninvent it. It's like you can't unsee it. Human Humanity knows how to do this now. And so uh, I think it was Taleb that said that. Like, it, it, you can't, like, you can't unsee Bitcoin. We know how to do it now. Okay, so for those people who are joining us, we've had kind of a wide-ranging discussion today. We were originally talking about how Bitcoin is freedom and peace. Alex joined us, and he started talking about his home country of Zimbabwe, which he's personally witnessed two hyperinflations. And then he's gone on to tell us about how he's using Bitcoin, all the difficulties of using Bitcoin when you're not part of the Western sort of countries. It, it creates a lot of problems and hurdles to overcome. and then. Um, you know, just recently we've been having this discussion about, well, potential hyperinflation, taxation, all that kind of stuff. 
if you have, if you're in the audience and you'd like to join us, let us know. We'll bring you up. We like this to be an open discussion. Good morning to all of you. Hey, uh, Alex, quick program break, just because uh, Gigi posted a, a sweet thread, uh, just kind of resurfacing the book he wrote a couple of years ago. And I, I just, uh, a lot of the conversation this morning about freedom and peace and sort of philosophy and Bitcoin reminded me of that. And so I, I just decided to see what Gigi was up to, and, and this was just super timely. So uh, I feel like your audience and the people and the kind of conversations you have in here would really, really enjoy reading 21 Lessons. It's uh, it's a little bit more of like the human side and what Bitcoin actually does for you beyond just being a monetary asset and a future global reserve currency. I highly recommend reading it to anybody uh, that likes Alex. I think his philosophy and is, is pretty well aligned with how Gigi sees things. So um, we actually give it away for free because uh, Gigi used to work for us and lets us do that still. So if you want to go to swanbitcoin.com slash 21 lessons, uh, you can actually grab a free ebook of it there. Uh, or if you want to support him, you can send him some stats or uh, even just buy it on Amazon uh, if you want a physical copy. But uh, just wanted to make that all of y'all fine people aware of one of my favorite Bitcoin books. And you can see that in the nest up above. If you want to check it out. Outstanding. Highly recommend, by the way. If you haven't read it, highly recommend. Good morning, LRT. How are you? We're just uh, having a little shuffling of speakers here. I'm going to bring you up. I see you, Luke. Luke Gay. So it looked like we it looks like we lost Alex, but I got him tagged. I, I followed him and he followed me back. So hopefully we'll get him back for another discussion in the future. Um, it was fascinating to hear his perspective. And um, I mean, Ori came up and he shared, you know, like his his kind of thoughts in regards to unbanked people in Nigeria, et cetera. And uh, in some ways, it's been a, in a it's been a bit of a conversation tugging on the heartstrings a little bit because I, I my heart goes out to a lot of these people. I'm, I'm super excited to see what Bitcoin's going to do moving forward in the future. Good morning, Luke. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, yeah, Corey makes a great point with the um, Bitcoin like changing how humans interact with each other. Like we currently live in a time I feel like where you know high time preference, everyone's trying to go get the money, go go party, go drink away their problems. And I feel like everyone that I've interacted with like throughout college and throughout high schools like has always been on edge, you know, like. They're not really in the present when you I'm like interacting with someone and I've always felt that and I feel like Bitcoin offers like true value discovery. So not only in price, but like in our interactions with one another. And because it lowers our time preference, I feel like we're going to see a new side of humanity and like new side of interactions between people. So that's definitely what I'm excited for the most, just to see how people interact and move in. The Bitcoin world. Totally agree. Totally agree. Exciting times. Dr. Jeff, you're going to be around for a little bit. If you are, I'll make you a co-host. 
yeah, I'm around. So feel free to. That'd be great. Okay, done. Go ahead, Yasin. Yeah, no, to add on to the previous point that was made, um, in terms of quality of people and level of integrity, uh, some of the Bitcoiners I've met are just unparalleled. Uh, I came across a tweet yesterday I that I just want to reiterate here. Um, Bitcoin maximalists are equivalent to uh, Jedi Knights in disguise. And I <laughs> that tweet is kind of funny, but it really resonated with me because just like the things I see on Twitter and like, you know, all the human rights and uh, self-sovereignty and all these different ideas being blended together with Bitcoin. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. Jedi Knights in disguise. <laughs> Fighting the evil Sith Lords of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> the Sith Coiners. <laughs> we fight the Sith Coiners. <laughs> <laughs> the chairman of the Fed being equivalent to uh, Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> I don't know. Don't get me started on that. I'm a Star Wars nerd. You can go down some rabbit holes with that stuff. <laughs> okay, new topic. Open to topic suggestions. We're going to just open it up. Good morning, JD. How you doing? I got a question for Dr. Jeff. Oops. Are you guys there? Yeah, we are. Okay, uh, sorry. Go ahead, JD. Good morning. Good morning. So um, has has anybody seen a Bitcoiner like set up a, uh, not a foundation, but more something that would really help uh, in the impoverished, like just to set up a endowment or something that could be seeded into like-minded, you know, individuals that want to support, whether it's a ministry in, you know, Guatemala or Africa or other, other great things and just let that thing grow and then and then it could actually it would be endowed and it could last in perpetuity and i don't know how you would get the you know the cash to whether you would borrow against it but is anybody doing anything interesting like that that you know of there are so many of these going on around the world and have been for a long time there was a recent one uh down in el salvador uh I think it was Bitcoin for smiles. So it was just uh, basically just paying for uh, people to get their teeth fixed down in El Salvador. And they did it for at least a few dozen people as far as I know. Um, there's uh, Scott Harrison from Charity Water, who I knew from uh, the clubbing days in New York 15, 16 years ago. Uh, he's dug, what, 10,000 plus wells all over the world, mostly Africa. And... Um, helped him get on stage at Bitcoin Magazine's conference this year to announce a uh, Bitcoin endowment for Charity Water. And uh, they agreed to take all donations and hold them for at least five years. So everything that's been donated, uh, and I think the Winklevi agreed to match uh, the first 50 Bitcoins that got donated, which is pretty awesome. I don't like them all the time, but that was pretty cool. So 
I think they're at like 49 point something Bitcoins right now. And as soon as they hit 50, the twins are supposed to kick in the other 50. And then that 100 Bitcoin sits for five years. Uh, so that's a novel way to get at it. Anyway, there's lots more. How do you guys envision, like for Charity Water, they let it sit for five years, assuming there's 100 or they keep raising Bitcoin or sats. And then do they borrow against that? Um, I know there's probably rules inside of the endowment or the fund or whatever, but how do you guys envision them that, being able to actually go deploy hodl. it? That one's a straight hodl. So it's, uh, they'll spend it in five years if they decide to. Okay. Or maybe it'll be a good, big enough pile and the rates will come down enough that, you know, sort of the, uh, the dream that we always talk about is the interest rate on a Bitcoin-backed loan will be lower than inflation. So essentially you're borrowing interest free forever, just like owning a New York apartment building or owning the Patriots or something like that. You just have like a free ATM forever, basically. And if you play this out, that is what should happen with Bitcoin in the next five to 10 years. Uh, you should be able to borrow fiat against your Bitcoin with the expectation that uh, Bitcoin purchasing power will increase faster than the interest rate that you're paying in fiat, basically. So, I mean, it's obviously also already true today, uh, even at 10% sort of for retail uh, Bitcoin-backed loans. It's just risky given the volatility of the asset and very few people actually can be disciplined enough to uh, put up a, a very small portion of their collateral and sort of withstand the market pullbacks that we've seen historically. This is so cool. This is really cool. Thank you. I see your hand. You see, we'll get to you in one second. I want to welcome up Sean. Good morning, Sean. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I just uh, saw Corey was in here, and I wanted to thank you for the service you guys provide. Uh, I love your product. It's, uh, it's great. No other the coins on there. It's an easy way to stack sats, but... Uh, I'm, I'm taking the next leap and I'm pulling them off the exchange as you guys encourage. Uh, I got my hardware wallets on the way from uh, Ledger. It actually made it into the States, so I'm happy about that. Um, I guess I uh, was going to touch on what one of these other speakers was talking about earlier was, uh, you know, these unrealized gains and everything. And I think uh, that's one reason why I'm going to pull it off the exchange is because I think. Uh, Theoretically, they could, you know, they could start, uh, you know, taxing your unrealized gain by, uh, you know, in, in introducing some kind of tax when you withdraw it off exchanges. And I just wondered, what are you guys prepared for that scenario? Do you think it uh, is a likely scenario, or just kind of what you had to think about that? I'm going to pass on that one honestly, and probably I think. Uh, Cyber Hornet and Dr. Jeff probably have a better historical perspective on that than I do. Take it, Alex. Um, yeah, pull it off the exchanges by all means, 100%. That's my opinion. Like, put it this way when you get to, to this kind of part of the monetary cycle, governments are broke. I mean, they're doing everything they can to tax and spend and tax and spend and tax and spend. And it's become this completely mathematically um, unsustainable problem. 
And uh, I don't think they're going to stop. Historically speaking, if you just study history, when, when governments get into this kind of situation, they tend to start confiscating everything they can get their hands on. So I personally think that that's going to, that's a trend that's going to continue until we defund and de-resource governments that are willing to do that kind of stuff. I mean, we need to push back at a, at a legislative level as much as we, as much as we possibly can. So get involved with, with people who are Bitcoin positive in politics, help them understand, you know, politicians who are curious about Bitcoin, teach them, help them. And uh, super important for for them to push back against this stuff, and and for everyone to push back stuff. You can you can only have these things exist if the people allow it. Is really what it comes down to. It, it makes me think of Thomas Paine, where he where he said that these kind of things creep only because citizens don't repeal it. And if you don't repeal it, if you don't push back against it, there's an assumption that. You, they have your consent. And as far as I'm concerned, they absolutely don't. However, in the interim, will they try to come after stuff? Yeah, I, I think they probably will. So understand the tools that are available. I'm not going to dig into that. They're all out there. Go check out Stefan Lavera's podcast. Go check out um, Tales from the Crypt. Marty and, and Odell talk about this kind of stuff all the time. There are tools that you can use to, to protect yourself. Go learn them. Awesome. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for all the work you guys do, and uh, you guys have a great day. Yo, can you guys hear me now? Yes, we can. Hi, everyone, and good morning. I'm saying good morning, even though it's, it's far from morning where I am. Um, Corey, I have wanted to ask you uh, to elaborate on something. And it's a bit of like an Eli 5, if you don't mind. Um, this is from the perspective of someone who hasn't, I've never taken out a collateralized loan in my life. So one thing I, I was wondering if you could just break down, you said, um, you know, in future, you could take a collateralized loan out uh, against your Bitcoin and it could become, and I'll just to quote you, like a, a lifetime um, ATM. How does that work practically? for someone who's accumulating Bitcoin now and thinking about using it in future? I think it's just, just being aware that uh, very wealthy people don't tend to sell their assets. Uh, they tend to just basically post them as collateral. So they have this big stock or bond portfolio or a couple of buildings or an NBA franchise or whatever it is. And they have trusted relationships with bankers that know what their assets are. And so those bankers will will give them loans. So you'll be able to find a lender. And where this really will, will take off, and I'm sure either uh, Dr. Jeff or maybe if Jay pops up, will uh, we'll, uh, definitely confirm that where you really want to get to is not actually having to post the Bitcoin as collateral, where they actually just recognize that you're wealthy and, and have plenty of assets and they give you sort of a, a non-recourse loan where, where it's just based on your, your personal financial profile. So. That's where we'll get to at some point. And so I think it's just uh, the imperative for each individual person is just to stack as many stats as you possibly can and make sure that in the future, you're not having to draw down your Bitcoin stack. And ideally, your kids aren't having to draw down your actual Bitcoin stack. And ideally, their grandkids aren't having to draw down your family's Bitcoin stack. So that's how I think about it. Like, you know, I got enough money to live for my family and my kids. But like, if I'm thinking about seventh generation planning and like, 
building a legacy in a dynasty or whatever, just all the things that may come up health-wise, whatever, like it just makes sense to try to accumulate as much as you can. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, cool. Thank you. And with that, yeah, I'm so actually going to sign off, Alex. So I will uh, see y'all later. Got to start my day. See you, Corey. Very good. Thanks, Corey. I'm going to step away for just a minute. Dr. Jeff, you're in charge. I got to use the bathroom. We're going into hour three here. I'll be right back. I know, man. I've never seen you go beyond two hours. This is crazy. I usually I usually don't. I usually have clients that I need to talk to starting, you know, 20 minutes ago. But uh, I've got I've got a free slot right now. So we're going to keep rolling here. I'll be right back. Right on. Well, let's move on. Bad Wolf, you got your hand up. What's up, bud? Hey, Dr. Jeff. Um, I've been, I was wondering if you've been tracking what MasterCard's been doing this year. Uh, at the beginning of the year, they announced that that they were going to be uh, working with Bitcoin. And then just uh, recently, there was an announcement that they have a partnership or formed a partnership that will essentially allow them to uh, allow any financial institution that provides a branded credit card to pr actually provide a Bitcoin credit card. And uh, I, was, I was reading an article that I posted in the Nest um, from Wall Street Journal that was kind of talking about this, about maybe some underlooked implications of what they're doing. But um, and, and, so, and I apologize if, if it wasn't in the paywall for me, but, you know, I, I might have had a free credit. So I apologize if, if, if some people can't access that article. But um, I guess my question is, have you been following it? And like, what do you think about the implications of, of this? Like how? How close or how closer do you think this brings us to, you know, maybe, um, you know, more more wide scale adoption? Because kind of what I'm what I'm seeing here is that if like, say, for instance, Chase Bank offers a Bitcoin credit card and Bank of America offers a Bitcoin credit card. And, you know, just because they they're seeing people they're seeing their customers leave, basically, you know, going to these new fintech companies that like have their version of a Bitcoin credit card, um, it, it kind of, it, it could potentially, I'm thinking it could accelerate adoption, but I wanted to kind of get your take on that. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely it's going to accelerate adoption. And I think that um, this is all just inevitable. So none of this news is surprising. I think it's all kind of good news and it's all expected. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is obviously this parallel financial and monetary network that's running alongside the traditional finance system. It's at least 10x better, maybe 100x better in many ways than the current system. I mean, you, we, you can tell story after story after story of what's frustrating about traditional finance and why Bitcoin makes it better. Uh, you know, and then even from just the basic unit economics of having a, a depreciating fiat currency uh, stacked up against an appreciating, uh, you know, Bitcoin. So, so for, for every reason, this is inevitable and it's going to happen. So yes, it's going to be a part of the worldwide adoption. I think everybody gets on board or they become obsolete. So I, I've been saying this for a couple of years for traditional banks, for, you know, fintech, you know, traditional fintech, you can either get on board with Bitcoin or you, you will be obsolete within, I think, 10 years or less. That's how fast this network adoption is moving. Uh, that's how fast it's going to start affecting our political system. It's going to rearrange or reorder the worldwide political order. Um, it, it has huge implications across just 
basically all facets of our lives. So I, so great news. Um, not surprising. I think there's more to come for sure. Uh, and it's just going to be, you know, like we're seeing, it's trickling in right now, slowly at first and then all at once. And that's how these things uh, happen. Yeah, that is great news. Um, you know, and, and the other side of that is is the merchants, you know, like any merchant that accepts, uh, you know, MasterCard as a payment could could elect to have have the payment arrive as, as Bitcoin, which is kind of cool. But like the, the person spending can spend in Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm, I've been kind of work trying to think through this potential game theory of removing the um, tax the taxable gains event of spending Bitcoin like that, that seems um, at the end of the day, I think that's going to turn out to be very difficult to enforce. I mean, if you think about what has to happen with that, like either the IRS has to control very central authorities and, and have them provide a consolidated report. Take care, everybody. Enjoyed it. What the final number is like that you owe in, ta in taxes or they're going, the IRS is going to have to become a very large data, big data company and pull in all these, you know, five, $10, you know, $10 worth of Satoshi transactions and then try to, you know, calculate, you know, compute for each individual taxpayer, you know, what their taxable uh, gain is. And not only that, they would have to like mine the UTXOs and stuff to try to even figure out like what the cost basis is and things like that. Like it, what it really reminds me of is early, um, early two thousands, late nineties, uh, internet, uh, Amazon. Like everybody knew that you could just kind of go on Amazon and buy whatever you wanted to buy and not have to pay sales tax. There was a voluntary system that you know on on your. Uh, annual tax forms, it would, it would ask you a question, like your, your state taxes would ask, did you buy anything off the internet this year? And most people just ignored that and moved on. And so it wasn't until like decades later that we started seeing some enforcement of, of collecting sales tax. And, and Amazon does it basically, like they just, they just tax the transaction. You really can't do anything about it. And then, um, and then they pay the state. So it, the state's not having to collect all the data. They just depend upon the merchant. And in it, as far as compliance goes, they only have one person to punish, Amazon, like if, if, if compliance is not sufficient enough. Whereas trying to tax individual transactions, that that you know goes like that goes to a whole different level. So I've been kind of thinking through the game theory, and once we start getting like massive, like more and more people using it. And there's just a lot too many transactions to really like collect and analyze. I, I think it just becomes like a very difficult math problem for the, for the government to solve. And they'll, they may have to come up with just a different system. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's just much too cumbersome and way too fast moving and huge for the IRS to, to keep tabs on. To me, it's inevitable that within, again, within probably a 10-year or less time frame, the IRS recategorizes Bitcoin from real estate to a currency. And then and that, and that they're, they're going to do it reluctantly, uh, but I think they're going to be forced to do it. And that's really the only solution to this. So my advice to most people is hold on to your Bitcoin for as long as possible and just wait this out because it's, it's adversarial currently. 
uh, between uh, Bitcoiners and the government, the people who you know were basically uh, defunding and 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 removing them from power peacefully uh, as a roundabout method. Uh, so if we can just outlast them until Bitcoin becomes a majority held asset, which I think happens by 2025, 2026, that time frame, um, then I think the rules will start to change more in our favor and it will be become more of a favorable environment. So that's just my take on it. By the way, Jay, I just wanted to uh, welcome you to this stage. Uh, it, Corey uh, uh, mentioned you earlier when we were talking about the whole concept of, you know, I, I like to say buy, borrow, die. Uh, Jason Williams says that a lot too. I don't know if you have any um, thoughts or feelings on that regarding uh, asset accumulation and then borrowing against it for a living, or if you think you should peel off assets little by little and live off that. Like, do you have any uh, income strategies? We were in Clubhouse earlier talking about it and i texted jason it's like he doesn't know yet and i don't know it's not going to affect me because they're going after the 700 families in the, in the country right now so that's not going to be it's not going to hit us yet right i think the slippery slope is the concern plus our assets are going to continue to inflate and we're going to hit that number um just because they don't inflation adjust these things as you obviously all know yeah i don't like the fact that they're taking they're going to force people to take risk by borrowing because that is a risk right if there's a major drawdown and you have leverage um you could have a problem right um end up wiping oh you're in the matrix right now jay we can't hear you Hey, while we're waiting for Jay's uh, sound to come back, let's move on um, to Ben. Ben Herring, you got your hand up. What's going on? Right on. Thanks. Uh, uh, I wanted to bring it back to what Bad Wolf was bringing up about MasterCard and the game theory of it. Um, I've been wanting to ask him this for a while, Bad Wolf, but um, the idea for, for guys like me, you know, the average dude who's into Bitcoin but wanting to stay savvy with taxes and stay out of the ire of the IRS, um, I'm trying to feel out how adoption gets uh, leveraged with the MasterCard thing because there's such a big player has been something I'm trying to kind of kind of break in my mind over trying to figure out where it goes. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they said 20,000 banks would be interacting now or they're trying to help them use Bitcoin. And I'm thinking maybe the the thing for the $5 tax events with Bitcoin is is maybe that does leverage the average person who's crypto curious. Maybe they earn a little Bitcoin on, on their purchases, but then they, say they have, you know, uh, I don't know, a hundred thousand sats. Now they've collected, they start realizing they can use that as a bank account, the savings are part of their bank account. Then they transfer to USDC or some dollar based thing to pay their credit card bill every, every month. I'm curious if anybody thinks that USDC or a stablecoin is part of that whole package, because that's how I would see it playing out. And being that, you know, that's with the volume of how big MasterCard is, that's that's a positive. But on the other side, we've got the competitor like Strike and, and the the motivation for all the businesses. Like I used to have a camp, you know, a, a business retail, and I would be all about saving the 2% that I got charged with everybody's credit card swipe. And, and and it seems brilliant. MasterCard probably is using this as a way to still get their 2% and then also capture Bitcoin, uh, budding Bitcoin people. But 
I would want to leverage, you know, like a strike application. So I'm like, well, how do, how do those guys get a foot in the door to compete with MasterCard? And I don't know, that's kind of an opposing force in the sense of adoption, but it also is where I see it going long-term so that somehow uh, the businesses can start supporting and trying to ask for customers to come in like, Hey, Starbucks, you'll get 5% discount or, you know, well, a couple percent discount on your coffee if you use lightning type application versus MasterCard. But I'm, I'm kind of throwing that out for, for discussion. But my main question was, is the USDC side of a, a customer who's now a MasterCard customer getting Bitcoin ability or crypto ability to pay at Starbucks? USDC or stablecoins would be part of that, right? Or has anybody heard or have thoughts on it? I guess I would just throw out there. First of all, I think your way of thinking about it is is a, a good a good one. I, th I think you're thinking about it correctly. I would be careful with stable coins in the near term, and I think that's because Gary Gensler and Janet Yellen have both mentioned repeatedly that stable coins are in their sights. They are uh, evaluating them. They're looking to see, uh, like you know, how necessary they are. Are these things like actually? You know, uh, unre unregistered securities. Uh, do do they need more oversight? Should we do away with them and just tr replace them with the uh, central bank digital currency from the U.S.? Powell has even said that several times that he thinks if the U.S. were to come out with a CBDC, that there would be no need for stable coins. So I don't know what that means for things like USDC, uh, you know, Tether, things like that, Gemini USDC or uh, USD. Um, but I, I would be cautious about pinning too many hopes. And honestly, I would be cautious about uh, pinning any of my net worth uh, in stable coins at this point until there's more clarity on them. Yeah, it seems like the, the risk profile might be increasing. Like usually, like I, I noticed that uh, BlockFi sent an email out today saying that they're raising the interest rates they're paying on their stable coin. And uh, to, I think 9%. Uh, for up to forty thousand dollars, which is which is a pretty large. Um, like if you, if you looked at that as a savings account, nine percent is a huge payment for a risk-free investment. Which is to say, I don't think it's a risk-free investment. I think that that nine percent is capturing some kind of risk. I just don't understand what the risk is with the stable coins, and I and I think maybe that's what the SEC is trying to also figure out. Um, because they they want some disclosures, they want some transparency. It, it's the debt they're buying. They're buying paper, right? So that's the risk. You're saying they're buying they're buying U.S. dollars, they're buying junk so bonds. They're taking, oh, they're buying junk bonds. Buying junk bonds, right? I think they have junk bonds as collateral. Don't do they not? Yeah, I don't know. Like my my brain has my my understanding is they're not sitting on just cash. Correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Jeff. I, I no, you're correct, and it depends who we're talking about. Tether has a much more sketchy balance sheet than does say USDC. Just depends who we're talking about. I don't know about Gemini. You know, there's tons of other stable coins, but they all need work. Uh, and I I think that of of them, the one I would trust the most would be USDC. Um, but I, I think all of those are coming under more scrutiny, and that's part of where the high interest rates are from, because there still is regulatory risk. We just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, is the SEC going to come down on them? Is the Fed just going to try to shut them down with some uh, legal action as well? I don't know. So those 9% rates are enticing, but I'm steering clear of them personally. Yeah, I, I think that's wise as well. Uh, Jeff, 
please check your DMs. We're going to go to Good Vibe. Good morning. Oh, hey, uh, thanks for uh, for letting me up, uh, Cyber and uh, Dr. Jeff. Yeah, I, I just had a quick question on the buy, borrow, die uh, principles behind that. I, I, I think I understand the buy and the borrow part. And then when you, when you die, you sell a portion of your stack. Um, and then the after-tax uh, proceeds from that would go to pay off the uh, loans that you've taken out over the years to uh, to, to pay for your life. Um, my, my, my question is then when you die, is there a way to structure everything uh, to pass on whatever you don't have to sell to pay loans like to your wife or to your children without incurring taxes? Or, or will you incur some kind of taxes um, after you die and pay off your loans? Uh, I was kind of talking about this before, so but I could jump in. When you die, the death tax, right, that, that you're gonna have to pay, uh, will be all against all of your assets. What people try to do to avoid that, um, at least what my family's known for our estate, is we have life insurance policies, right? So you have life insurance to try to account for taxes. Um, you know, that's one thing that people do. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, what they, what they also do is they put their, a lot of their assets in trusts, right? So dynasty trusts, we have dynasty trusts. So that is a way, uh, you can try to avoid the tax too, cause it's generation skipping. Um, so if you have enough wealth, that makes sense to do that. You set up these trust accounts and then you also have, um, life insurance policies for the taxable event that you may have. Here's an interesting thought on that. I mean, trusts are pretty common. If you're concerned about inheritance planning, you can talk to Casa. They've got they've got a pretty good handle on that when it comes to um, Bitcoin, et cetera. But if you think about it, all of these structures are are based upon the idea that the regulatory environment is going to survive all of this and continue into the future the way it has in the past. I'm not so sure about that. And the reason why I say that is, is that you know you can move Bitcoin in and out of a trust pretty easily and in ways that you know moving forward how do they how do they really enforce and regulate all that i don't know i have some questions around that lrt go ahead yeah this goes it's kind of going backwards a little bit um jay but i was interested to hear you speak to the buy borrow die concepts and you got um you got locks off before when you were speaking do you could you go through that Jay's been in the matrix a lot this morning. I don't know what his connection's looking like at the moment. All right, no problem. I'll just stick around. But yeah, I, I would like, like if I, if someone could speak to that a little more, I'm interested to to um, understand what you mean by that. If I can jump in here, Alex, there is a LRT, a really good resource on YouTube that Mark Moss did. He went through that because Michael Saylor talks about that as well, and we've talked about that over on Clubhouse quite a bit. Um, Mark Moss basically goes with a whiteboard and goes through the math of why that works. Basically, you're borrowing against an asset that's appreciating faster than the rate that you have to pay it back. And so you get to sort of pocket the difference. And that difference is what is where the safety comes in. So yes, so as long as you're not um, uh, borrowing too high, like a, at a high loan to value against your Bitcoin, uh, especially when Bitcoin is maybe overpriced near a top of a bull run. That's the problem is people make mistakes and borrow against it at the worst possible times. You want to borrow uh, when when Bitcoin is, you know, is like around its 200 day moving average, as British uh, likes to say. Or, or, or some low point like that, so it's relatively safe. 
Um, but as you borrow against it, you can you can take living expenses out of that. And then each year, assuming that Bitcoin continues to grow at a CAGR of, you know, 100 to 200 percent per year, um, if you're only borrowing, say, 10 percent or 7 percent against it, um, you can technically continue to roll over your debt year after year. And you would never have to, you wouldn't have to pay it back all the way up until your death. At that point, it becomes a different issue than then your heirs. Um, unless you have some trust structure where it's protected um, and they could keep rolling it over. Uh, that's one possibility. Uh, there's other legal ways to do that. Um, but for just regular people, um, your heirs would probably have to then sell some of that Bitcoin, um, use that to pay off the debt that you owe, uh, and then they would get to keep the rest. It's just kind of how that works, uh, you know, and obviously with taxes factored in there. But the whole point is that your asset is growing at such a high rate that you can continue to roll over debt and, and you'll never uh, get into trouble. Not individual investment advice, by the way. I'm just explaining how the math works. That's yeah, that clears that up a lot. Um, I think I, I yeah, I sort of had an understanding of that. I'd, I'd never heard it. I'd never heard those terms used. Did you say Mark Moss? Yes, Mark Moss, M O S S. He's a he's a prolific uh, like sort of teacher educator in the Bitcoin space on um, on YouTube, and he goes through this. He does like a 30 minute video on it, just kind of laying it out so you can see the numbers. I can't remember what it's called. If somebody knows, maybe you can share it up in the nest. Cool. I'll, I'll go check it out. If I find it, I'll share it in this. this which, which types of institutions like like offer these services, like the Dynasty Trust and, and, and all that kind of stuff? Like, like is, do you just go to like JP Morgan for this kind of stuff or, or who? JP Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> you going to entrust your wealth to the Sith Lords of Finance, really, man? I don't know. I, I was just throwing out something that popped into my head. It definitely wasn't the right one, but like, are, are, are there, you know, wealth managers out there? How do you find them? Do you, do you just do a Google search or something? Well, in, in terms of inheritance, uh, if that's what we're talking about, sorry, I was having lunch. Uh, Casa and Unchained Capital are great. Yeah, I agree with you. But aren't they only great for transferring the wealth? It's, it's not necessarily great for the preservation. Um, isn't that just like the transfer of it and the, and 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 the counterparty of it, like so that you have multi-sig? I don't understand why he keeps using Casa as an example. Well, okay, so the, it's important to distinguish the transfer of the asset, the smooth transfer of the asset, with the legal structures, right? So the legal structures would be trusts, things of that nature. Um, okay, so I think we got about nine minutes left before I need to bounce. So I'm going to recommend after I get off, if either Dr. Jeff or Jay wants to host a space. We'll just turn it over to them. You guys can all migrate over there. I've got um, I got to attend to some clients and stuff. So, about nine minutes. Um, if we want to continue in this vein of discussion, I uh, for our spaces that I like to host, um, I appreciate it. If you if you want to speak, we're gonna do you know we're gonna hold our hands up to make sure we're we're not talking over each other that kind of thing. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to uh, speak to in in this topic? If we have any experts, by the way, in the audience who are uh, sort of in that world of trust planning, that kind of thing, by all means, please come up. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Go ahead, Jay. Rock and roll, man. Hey, I got, sorry, I got cut out a few times as I'm driving here, guys. I apologize. I've been through a lot of this stuff with my lawyers. I'm no lawyer, so don't take any financial advice from me whatsoever, guys. But I've been through a lot of this. One person says, where do you find wealth managers? Usually when you have wealth, they find you. <laughs> That's usually how it works. Um, they start coming to your house, right? Goldman Sachs, UBS, you name it, they'll be there. 
Um, if you have, if you're stealth wealth, which a lot of Bitcoiners are, they're not going to find you most likely. So it's a good question, I guess, if you have stealth wealth at that point. Um, when you're notable with wealth, they usually know who you are and they all reach out to you. Um, so you're asking that because you haven't been reached out to. So you you, you want to go to the big guys, is my guess, because not that you need to go with them to use them, but it's great to get the free advice, guys. Sit down with them if you have that kind of wealth. Sit with Goldman Sachs and all them. They'll walk you through it when you realize is it's a waste of your freaking time. <laughs> like there's nothing they're going to do for you that you can't do on your own. And you're a Bitcoiner, right? So what do you really need them for anyway? And as it relates to the trust accounts, just talk to you, talk to estate planning attorneys for this. Um, you want to be, I, my opinion is you want to be in a state that doesn't have state income tax for your trust so that they're not getting hit with state income tax. And there's two states that are really good for this. Like New Hampshire is a good one. Wyoming's another good one because it's Bitcoin friendly. Um, you know, there's other states as well. But those two states are really good um, for trust, New Hampshire, and, and I, I think, and because um, there's a lot of things around trusts that you'll talk to attorneys about this, and they'll explain to you what the benefits are. Um, but again, dynasty trust is what you want to look at because you want generation skipping dynasty trust because you want if you're building generational wealth, like Corey was talking about earlier, if that's your intended goal, um, you want to protect it from um, taxes. I also heard um, somebody was saying earlier, I don't know which person was saying it, but they were like, you know, these things are all going to change. Hundred percent agree with that. But I actually am starting to question whether or not the lobbyists behind the uh, uh, the insurance industry are behind this, because I got to tell you guys, the way people are going to try to uh, attack this, it's like, yes, buy, borrow, and uh, what was the last one? Uh, die or death tax or whatever it is. Yeah. In between there, it's insurance. You're going to pay for these taxes that are eventually going to come due. I think through insurance, you can certainly pay them on an annual basis, but the death tax will be insurance. So I think the insurance industry is behind that one. That's actually a really good point. Thanks, Jay. Sats minded. What's up? Yeah. Hey, uh, question for Dr. Jeff. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not too familiar with it, but I understand that a lot of uh, really wealthy people create offshore um, Panamanian or other um, organizations to uh, protect their wealth from taxes, maybe. Um, I'm curious if that's even relevant for folks to hold their Bitcoin in. And if you see, uh, more proliferation of those kind of services if taxing starts coming down hard? Uh, that's a good question. I think that is, uh, those were, uh, what should I say? Those were beneficial strategies for the fiat world. And I think that with the new age of Bitcoin, that things all kind of change, right? Because Bitcoin isn't necessarily jurisdictional. Uh, you can transport it in your head. You can move it at the speed of light anywhere in the world. Um, it's just different. It, and because it's a different asset and because we're kind of talking about Bitcoin in these rooms more, um, there you have to think about it differently. And so those offshore accounts and those things, you know, nothing is going to be safe from the overreach of government uh, anywhere if that's your goal. It's not my goal to make it clear. But if it is your goal, uh, you, there are things you can do. There are clever people to talk to to do stuff like that. That's out of my uh, my area of expertise for sure. And I would just say, though, that if you're thinking in those ways and those terms, think about it differently with Bitcoin because it's a totally different asset. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, the whole thing, the whole discussion is is coming up, I think, because, you know, Bitcoin is a sovereign asset. And it's a sovereign asset in a, in a way that is unique in human history. Like, it can't be taken from you. Right. So because it can't be taken from you, it starts to create all kinds of strange um, situations when it comes to systems of control. 
and regulation and enforcement because the fiat monetary system is all about systems of control. It's about controlling your wealth. It's about controlling what you do with your wealth. So we're looking at a completely new paradigm and there's going to be a ton of questions and discussion around this moving forward. There is no doubt. I'm, I'm certain that the sort of incumbent players that are accustomed to having this kind of power over people are not going to go quietly into the night, right? So this is going to be a a topic of continual discussion moving forward, I'm quite certain. Hey, Alex, I just want to be respectful of your time. You have time for one more question or comment? Yep, by all means. If somebody's got something, let's, let's do it. I'm adding uh, Eric to the stage. Eric, can you uh, can you hear us? Hey, Eric, just added you to the stage. Uh, what's on your mind? Hello, Eric, you there? Hey, sorry, hit the button by accident. Didn't even mean to request the stage. Well, welcome. <laughs> no worries, morning. man. <laughs> It happens a lot, actually. That's cool. All right, so then let's do closing comments. If anybody's a speaker on the stage and you have uh, anything you want to uh, say as closing comments, put your hand up. We'll call you in order, and then we'll wrap it up. All right, it was a race. I don't know who went first. So, Jay, let's hear from you first, then Yassine. Jay first. I would just say vote against all these politicians so this stuff stops. <laughs> Get them out of office, put Bitcoiners in. 100% agree. Go find out who your your Bitcoin-friendly politicians are. Get to know them, back them up, teach them, help them. 100%. Yassine, go. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks for hosting the space. I learned a lot uh, over the past uh, hour and a half, two hours. Um, and I just want to... Uh, I was wondering, can we bridge over Twitter? I, w- I want to uh, message you about something, Alex. Um, I'll send you some Star Wars memes, too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, by all means, man. Do, sh- sh- throw me a follow and uh, message me, and I'll, and I'll connect with you. JD, go. Cyber Hornet, I just wanted to thank you for hosting these because Dr. Jeff and I actually connected on the phone yesterday, and he might not want that advertised, but he uh, really helped me think through some real estate and Bitcoin related uh, thoughts that I had and helped me come at it from, well, he affirmed some of my thinking. And so it's cool that real people are able to connect, you know, through this platform. And I appreciate you holding the space and taking the time because I know it, it's a lot of time. It's all good. You're welcome. That's, I mean, that's what I'm here for. I wake up every single day with one mission. And that mission is to help Orange Pill, the other 7 billion people on the planet, and to get people on board of Bitcoin. Because to me, it's the only peaceful way forward, man. Like, we we need to get everybody on board with this thing. Otherwise, look, I, I don't want to see a violent end or a solution or I don't know if solution is the right word. I, I just don't want to see it go kinetic. And uh, I have a heart for peace and and I want to see the peaceful path forward. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for participating today. Thanks, y'all, for for coming in and listening. I want to thank all of our speakers for dropping all the wisdom that they did. It's been an amazing spaces this morning. 
um and just want to say i love all you guys bitcoiners are awesome let's go out there and change the world everybody have a great day crush it take it easy everybody